0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Murano
3: Wow. Uh, the Frank Murano vacation continues. He was originally scheduled to be back for his uh, Tour de Camp, which is every Monday through Friday for 1 to 5, in his nationally syndicated show. But very strange things have occurred here because um, I think everybody wants to know where in the world is Frank Marano. If you happen to know, it's, um, am I permitted to give the phone number out? Where in the world is Frank Marano?
2: That's 1-800-848-9222.
3: By the way, 1-800-848-WABC. Ah, I know. Oh, don't mention the Mothership Connection here at WABC. I might offend the affiliates, the growing number of affiliates. Too bad. This is the number one news talk station in the nation that I'm broadcasting from. Proud to do that as I've been going morning, noon, and night. And WABC has certainly lived up... uh, to the acronym for me, Always Broadcasting Curtis, must have done about uh, six shifts so far just over the weekend. And I will complete the task of filling in for the Mama Luke, Frank Morano until the five o'clock hour. And oh, we're going to be delving into so much stuff, including the documentary evidence that I needed because I hate the Beatles with a passion, especially Paul McCartney. And now there's a letter from John Lennon, the only Beatle I actually like. Hey, George Harrison, Meze Meze Poco Poco. But it is a scorching letter that is going to be auctioned off that South Beat, probably for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the content proves what I've been saying all along. Uh, Bubblegum Paul McCartney just was a band record. And only consider about himself, I and me, not us and we. We're going to get into all of that and then, oh yeah, the racket report update of Frank Murano about his friends, the Gambino crime family, Gotti Sr., Gotti Jr., Angel Gotti, all the Gottis, and his interview with um, Federal Judge Gleason, who was the key prosecutor for the Eastern District of downtown Brooklyn, that found John Gotti Sr. of all charges because of the flip-the-script testimony of Sammy the Bull Gravano as underboss and the live Memorex tapes played to the jury that concluded that John Gotti Sr. was a psychotic killer who would have you killed for being late to a meeting, even if you were an earner and might have been stuck on the BQE and had no way of alerting everyone at the Ravenhead Social Club in Little Italy, that you might be 10 or 15 minutes late. As a result, John Getty Sr. would tell uh, his underboss Sammy the Bull of Gravano, after we finished the meeting, whack him. Oh, wait, John, he's a good, at uh, down? Is this courteous? Whack him. Uh, these are friends of uh, Frank Morano, I might add. So the question here is, where in the world is Frank Morano? I'm not permitted to give the number out, right? I have to wait for this. Uh, the, 1-800-848-9222.
2: That's 1-800-848-9222.
3: Really, Matt Blaze, I'm not permitted to utter the numbers? Why? Because I may mention WABC, 1-800-848-WABC. That's right, I said it. You know, this is a take on what Matt Lauer used to do on the Today Show before he turned out to be the perv of all pervs. And now was living the life for Riley out in the Hamptons, having uh, settled for millions and millions of dollars. Remember how they would do, where's Matt Lauer this morning? You know, where's Matt Lauer this morning? Who the hell can oh, 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 all the women, oh, where's Matt Lauer this morning? Well, the question is, where is Frank Marano, the Mama Luke, one
2: 800 848 that's one 800
3: Oh, you you, you you want to Bogart me, huh? It's bad enough. Yeah, I'll tell you a little sidebar story about Matt Lauer before he became Mr. All World on the Today Show on NBC, the nincompoop broadcasting company. I first met Matt Lauer when he was uh, auditioning to take the role of Richard Bay on People Are Talking at Channel 9. Nine Broadcast Plaza. It was the super station in Secaucus. And every uh, program there was aired across the nation. It was like WGN in Chicago, a super station, you know, the Cub Station. And Channel 9 in Secaucus became a super station, and people are talking was aired everywhere, everywhere from San Diego up to Lewiston, Maine. And the host, Richie Bay, he was really the best. But he got into a contract falling out with management because uh, he demanded to be paid what he felt he was worth. And management said, hey, we don't need you. We got other uh, people to play around with. So they were trying out four people for the role of the host of people are talking on Channel 9 in Secaucus, New Jersey. Some of you may have remembered it. It was a really good program. It was on like 10 o'clock in the morning. First substitute was Matt Lauer. Now, who was Matt Lauer at that time? He had been doing a cable uh, program in Westport, Connecticut. Totally dressed like a preppy, cool, calm, and collected. He was the most professional of those trying to replace Richard Bay. Then there was yours truly, Curtis, Sliwa, and my wife at the time. Trying to figure out which one. Give me a moment. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, okay. It was Lisa, now known as Lisa Evers, her maiden name but at that time, Lisa uh, Sliwa. And we were trying out as a combo. And then there was Steve Adubato, Mr. New Jersey, Mr. Newark. So you had three different efforts to replace Richard Bay. And it was getting hot and heavy, and it was going weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And it seemed that management was going to uh, pluck... Matt Lauer out of Westport, Connecticut, the cable operation he was doing. But they came to their senses and they settled with Richard Bay. They signed him up. And the program got better and better and better. But that was the time that I met Matt Lauer. At that time, he was humble. There was humility. He didn't get to be that humongous ego at Rockefeller Center that eventually he needed a crane to get him in and out of the room. How many of you remember People are talking on Channel 9. How many of you remember it was the uh, Superstation that had on the Howard Stern show? That's right. A lot of people watched that. It also had Jackie Mason, the great comedian, on the weekend. I know I was on that many times. But the number one show, bar none, was a show that was on every night, Monday through Fridays. And it rocked the world because it had a different format each and every night. The guy who came on the host, he'd be smoking cigarettes like a chimney. And, I mean, he was outrageous. I mean, I don't know if he was doing cocaine, but he was manic-depressive. He would flip the script. One minute, he was my friend when he'd have me on. The next minute, he'd be screaming bloody murder at me. And I'll never forget, I had an opportunity to face off with then Ron Paul, congressman from Texas, not Rand Paul, his uh, son who smokes ropes of dope as a libertarian, number one cash crop in Kentucky now. You know, he's different than the uh, senior, set- and then, uh, senior senator there, Mitch <gasps> Bourbon <gasps> McConnell. It shows you the differentiation, uh, differentiation generationally. Rand Paul, who is the libertarian, no doubt, smokes ropes of dope. And then, of course, there's RuPaul and Drag Race. I wasn't debating RuPaul. I wasn't debating Rand Paul. I was debating Ron Paul, who was the independent candidate at that time. To become president of the United States, our numbers. Oh, I can't give the numbers. I'm out on my
2: four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two.
3: Is this what Frank Morano left you orders from headquarters? Matt Blaze, and by the way, that name Blaze is synonymous with a uh, dope smoker. As you blaze away, I, huh? you like that, huh? Because you know, stoners. They immediately identify this. Oh, Matt Blaze, oh, you got some good stuff on you. Maui, Maui, Hindu, Kush, sense. You know, they're probably ready to do puff puff pass with you. You know, go outside, man, you start vaping. Purple haze everywhere. But I still think that's an alias. I th- still think you're a fugitive. And I still think that Frank Morano is harboring you, not as an illegal alien as they continue to pour across the border. Underlay, underlay, underly. underly, underly but as a fugitive from justice. I'll get down to the nitty-gritty of it. I am so pleased to see that I don't have the telephone talent coordinator thrust upon me, Ken. Might as well have had a Barbie doll here for all the uh, acumen he had. I mean, last week, I'm substituted from Frank Morano. The guy falls asleep on me, and then... When I smack him in the back of the head between breaks and he goes, oh, I'm going to tell HR, I'm going to tell HR on you. I said, what are you going to sleep for? Well, I took an Ambien, you know, I felt that it would sexually excite me like it did Tiger Woods. I said, what the hell? Hey, freak, get out of here. And then we brought in Avery, the telephone talent coordinator of the other side of midnight, the Curtis Lee was show on the weekends. And things were stable. There's no more this hanky-panky, this treachery, this backstabbing from the McWhitey-Whitey crew of Frank Morano. We had diversity. Lo and behold, the very next day, they wiped out Avery. But I brought him back, you see? So if Frank Morano's not going to come back, I'm going to have Avery back each and every time that I substitute for Frank Morano. Mar- and you know what, management? Tough noogies i got to give him the numbers. I'm oh God! i got to wait for Frank Morano. Oh, <sighs> 1-800-848-9222.
2: That's 1-800-848-9222. Oh,
3: God. I guess uh, wherever he is, wherever Frank Morano is, he feels a lot better knowing that he can at least say the numbers while he extends his vacation. So let's call in his brown-nosed producer, Alex, who's got his schnoz way up his tuchus. Never before have I seen anyone more of a sickle fan, toady, and lackey than Alex. It is incredible. I'm here all day today. I'm doing all different shifts, as I typically do. Not complaining about it, because if you're going to give up the real estate of talk radio, if you're going to claim, oh, uh, I got a fever in my foot, or why don't we do best stuff, which is really worst stuff, or I'm going to take a vacation, which... The word doesn't even exist in my vocabulary. There'll be plenty of time to take a vacation when you're dead. You get to take a vacation six feet under in a pine box, or in my case, a cardboard box. So let me ask you something, uh, Alex. You came in here this evening. Matt Blaze was already here messing up my cuts for the Curtis Wood show, uh, which I think was purposeful, which uh, an act of sabotage. Avery pointed this out. Thank God he was on point as our telephone, uh, telephone coordinator. But, Alex, um, I asked you, uh, what's up with Frank? You told me he was going to be here, right? Did you tell me he was going to be
4: here? I was under the impression that he would be here tonight. And then
3: others had to tell you he wasn't. You're the producer for the Frank Morano Network show, right? That is correct. Do you feel like you're... Um, being kept out of the loop, you're a dollar short, day late, or you're just acting stupid, or you're really stupid.
4: I mean, it could be any one of those things. But frankly, I've always been kept out of the loop. So,
3: so let me ask you a question. So you you strode in here assuming that Frank Marano would be back on track, doing Monday through Fridays, one to five for a nationally syndicated audience, correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, did you do any show prep prior? Did I do any yeah, show yeah, prep? Yeah. No. Uh, so. What? You don't do show prep with Frank Morano before he does his show? What do you do? Just whip oh, well, it out? No, no, no. A whoopee can? When he's here, I do show prep with oh, him, of course. Look at yeah, him, yeah. A little nervous here. Yeah. I think we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. That oftentimes, the Frank Morano show is a work in progress, right? Is that oh, what you, you call know it? it? Yep, and I'm sweating bullets because of it. Okay, so I had to correct you that he wasn't coming in. I knew this. You didn't. Now, where the hell in the world is Frank Milano? I don't know. What do you think I know? Anybody out there knows, ladies and gentlemen, please write him out, drop time because uh, I'm more than happy to be here in perpetuity. You know, I told him the story of Wally Pipp. You know, he took one day off with a migraine headache playing first base for the old New York Yankees. The manager said, don't worry, Wally. You, you, look, you can't even open your eyes. Just just max and relax. I got this kid from Columbia University. Came in from Washington State. You know, uh, he needs much more seasoning. Uh, He'll play first base. One day, one day, uh, 2,892 games later, the Iron Man, Lou Gehrig, didn't miss a beat. And you never heard from Wally Pip again. He got peefed. But you never mind Frank Morano when he eventually decides to come back from vacation. And by the way... Brown Knows Alex, producer for the nationally syndicated Frank Morano Show. This is like his second vacation in what, two months? Yes, that is correct. He went to Hawaii for how many days? It was like five days, something like that. Hawaii, right? Hawaii. You can't even say Hawaii. Hawaii. Right. He was at, he was at every gin mill bar just knocking back those flavored colored drinks, colored drinks with those plastic umbrellas in it right am i right or wrong i mean he
4: likes to drink i don't know how much he really does like to drink maybe he exaggerates some of it but he he is known to enjoy a drink oh have you
3: ever gone out for drinks with uh, frank morano huh? oh, i have oh so you would know how much he drinks that is correct how much uh, give us an idea
4: uh you know two maybe maximum you know three Three,
3: something like that. More like five before twelve noon each day, and now it's the Velveeta, Velveeta cocktails. He has been uh, guzzling those down pretty quickly. Oh, he loves, he loves cheese, he loves fromage, and they do have. This is true, a Velveeta cocktail. He's probably uh, what do they call that? Half in the wind, half it's- in the bag. Half in the bag. That is correct. Now, I bring forward documentary evidence exhibit number A. Uh, We looked at his Twitter account because he likes to tweet to all those twits out there who follow him on Twitter. And there is probably the most bizarre posting I have ever seen in my life. And I got to tell you, Alex, I've seen a hell of a lot of crazy tweets in my lifetime. I'm sure you have. Whether Elon Musk buys it or doesn't buy it, this is a bit freaky-deaky. Ladies and gentlemen, from parts unknown, Frank Murano tweeted the following just hours ago. I'm going to read this, and please, Alex, you know him well because you obviously are a Maytag for Frank Murano as his producer. Maybe you can explain this in uh, Marano If Mayor Adams wouldn't tell us where he lives, what he did as a police officer, or why he insisted on keeping a homeless accountant who failed to file all sorts of mandatory paperwork, why would anyone think he'd answer questions about his sexuality? Who the hell was asking questions about the mayor of New York... Eric Adams' sexuality.
4: I mean, honestly, I have no idea. That's a that's one where I'm I was scratching my head too.
3: You know, why don't you scratch your tookus while you're at it? This is the most ridiculous post in the world. There's nobody who's more on the jockstrap of the swagger man with no plan, Mayor Eric Adams, and yours truly. Uh, maybe Sid Rosenberg, who comes in a quick second. And by the way. Would you tell Sid Rosenberg that I am not going to keep promoting his brand new book? I read already. Steal his book. We'll get to that later on. I'm I'm contractually obligated to be promoting this book over and over and over again. I would just suggest you go out and you steal Sid's brand new book. It's like Abby Hoffman. Remember he had that book when he was on the lam up in the St. Lawrence Valley? From the FBI, and he wrote a book, and the name of the book was, steal this book, please. So, Citizens United, the dumbest name of a book I've ever heard. You can't even pronounce it without biting your lip. And it's its written in addition with Johnny Russo of Godfather fame. Man, that guy's going to want a hell of a big big. But what the hell is going on with Frank Morano?
4: It beats me. You know, that is a pretty... That's probably one of the most bizarre tweets I've ever read in my entire life. Well... I have no idea what's
3: going on. Yeah, I know you have no idea what's going on. Could I have the numbers again? Oh, my God. i got to wait for somebody to give the numbers. 1-800-848-9222.
2: That's 1-800-848-9222.
3: Make it 1-800-848. Shut up, Alex. WABC. First thing Alex told me when I came in as substitute for this endless edu- this endless uh, vacation that Frank Morano is on. Oh, you can't mention WABC, the flagship station. You know, the affiliates might get upset. Did you or did you not tell me that, Alex? I absolutely did tell you that, Curtis. Well, guess what? Tough noogies. I'm proud of WABC, the flagship station. All of these affiliates, the growing number of affiliates across the nation. Do you realize there are men and women? Who dream of coming to WABC to broadcast. To be like the greatest broadcaster of all time, the top jock, Cousin Brucey, a.k.a. Bruce Morrow. And they know him all over the nation. They saw him in Dirty Dancing. Well, what are you going to try to say? They don't know Cousin Brucey. He's heard in 40 40 states, parts of Canada. They've heard of Cousin Brucey. You're right.
4: But you know, Curtis, for all this complaining that you do about Frank or maybe not complaining, but, you know, ridiculing that Frank is taking a vacation. You know, I mean, you're looking a little, you're looking a little tired there, Curtis. You know, you're kind of... Uh, don't you want to enjoy the golden years that you have uh, left on this earth still?
3: On Golden Pond, huh? What do you think, I'm Henry Fonda? You think I'm going to join the Golden Girls? Maybe as a transvestite. Maybe as a... Hmm, maybe as a man dressed as a woman... A transgender? Maybe I could have joined the Golden Girls, is that what you're suggesting? In the golden age of their life? <laughs> that wasn't even close to what I was suggesting. <laughs> no, 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 you were implying it. You were implying it, Alex. Remember, you're a hipster and millennial, and I hate and loathe hipsters and millennials. But I want to ask just a few more questions before we actually discuss relevant topics. Instead of where the hell is Frank Morano? By the way, does he intend on coming back for his program? Uh,
4: you know, you know as much as I do at this point, I think, Curtis. I, if you knew that you were coming in tonight, I guess maybe plan on being here tomorrow too.
3: So ladies and gentlemen, let me give you the latest. If you look at his tri- Twitter feed, all you twits out there who love Twitter, Elon Musk or not, If Mayor Adams wouldn't tell us where he lives, what he did as a police officer, or why he insisted on keeping a homeless accountant who failed to file all sorts of mandatory paperwork, why would anyone think he'd answer questions about his sexuality? And then he has... He's got posted a a New York Post front page, 1990, of Ed Koch. Everybody knew he was gay. And uh, he was marching through Greenwich Village in support... Of a group that was protesting the various homophobic attacks, and it said "gay rage." What the hell would he be posting that for?
4: Maybe he. Maybe you're right. Maybe he did have one, one or two,
3: too many. You know, maybe four or five or six too many. This is the most bizarre Twitter of a tweet that I've ever, ever experienced in my life. So. If any of you twits out there, follow the Murano Twitter thread. Try to explain this, as Ricky Ricardo would say to Lucy Ricardo. uh, uh, Lucy, let me explain. Let me explain what's going on. You can do that in Spanish also, not just English. Since... Pretty soon Spanish will become the primary language in America. English the secondary language based on the invasion that continues at our border. We'll be talking about that later on. And the lame in Ep Mayor Eric Adams swagger like man who has no plan. Who showed up at the Port Authority at seven AM on a Sunday as a Abbott bus arrived. 40 illegals had gotten on at the point of departure at Austin, the state capital in Texas. By the time it arrived at the Port Authority in Midtown Manhattan, there were only 14 illegals. So Eric Adams incredulously asked the bus driver, Hey, what happened uh, to all the other other passengers, the 26 others? He said, Mr. Mayor, uh, they bailed out along the way. They decided to get off in Paramus, where all the illegals live, who come in as cartoon characters each day and harass people in Times Square. And some of them jumped out and Hackensack. And Their rationale is it's too dangerous to go to New York City. We might get mugged. Our
2: numbers. one hmm. 800 That's one 800
3: and let me mention, uh, if I have to go through another week of this insult, this series of humiliations I was put through, my first management had insisted if I was going to substitute for the future and the here and now at talk radio, the golden child, the chosen one, the untouchable Frank Morano, that I would have to do school ball interviews with uh, experts on Sasquatch the Loch Ness monster, little gray aliens, not illegal aliens, little gray aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, moon launches, etc. And if you remember last week when I began this uh, marathon, I was given the services of Jennifer Groch. She was considered the celebrity booker of all the hosts and hostesses at WABC, but her priority was catering to Frank Morano. And she hooked me up with a guy that she claimed was an expert, the here and now expert of the Loch Ness Monster, who went looking for fossils all over the world, was at the, uh, the Souk in Morocco, having taken the Marrakesh Express with the rest of the hippies. And, and after I was talking to him for 20 minutes, after I did all the research based on what Jennifer Grad gave me and gave me a double hernia, I mean, my stones dropped. This is, this is what that screwball, this crackpot had to
5: say. There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably not a please-desert lockdown.
3: No, I'm not doing that again. Look, Frank doesn't want to come back. That's fine. Stay away. I'll eat up the real estate. But I'm not going to be interviewing people who pretend that they're experts. And then after a long, drawn-out discussion, tells me the following. There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's
5: probably not a pleasing sir lockdown.
4: You got that? I got it. I mean, look, I thought the guy was,
3: uh, was an expert and was interesting to listen to, but, you know. Uh, of course, of course, because if Frank Morano interviewed him, you would be placating, patronizing Frank. Oh, bravo, bravo, fortissimo. Marconi Award for interviewing.
5: There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably not a pleasing sir lockdown.
3: I'm never doing that again. By the way. one 800 848
2: 9222
3: That's one 800 848 And if they don't understand that, in the middle of America, where there are more pigs than people,
0: more potatoes than people, too bad.
3: Uryun du
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Marano. Frank Morano.
3: Cool and Dre. This is the remix for the city. Let's just start snapping. Crack hit, bleak on the jack like, let's make it happen.
0: Nothing can stop me. I'm all the way
3: up. Uh All the way up. Uh This is the brand new theme song for anointed mayor hip hop Eric Adams. Just the other day, before a wide variety of degenerate rappers. LL Cool J, JD Kiss, Ludacris, Nonsense, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I know Avery, your Urio Asiatic uh, black man roots here, you like this, you like this crap, this rap crap, you know damn well, Matt Blaze, that this music would never make the final cut for the Frank Marano show, never make the final cut, but we're going to be taking this all the way up to the break of dawn. Mil- who worth millions. I'm going to tell you who's worth millions now. Right on. T- that was good line there, Montana. Of the uh, Coke Crew. I wonder what he means when he says, yo, my name is Montana of the Coke Crew. You think he means Kukina, Kilos from Medellin and Cali Cartel? Hell yes. Here he is, Al Slim, Shady Sharpton of the National Action Network. Again, is scamming And not paying his rent. Oh, this guy is a perpetual predicate predicate deadbeat. You know, he's almost like uh, Frank Morano when it comes to making promises. You know, he's a welcher. Welcher on bets, welcher on everything else. Our Slim Shady Sharpton is now in his 12th battle with a landlord over paying rent, whether it's for his personal abode or it's for his national action at work. He owes massive amounts of money for his storefront church. The church of what's happening now at 145th Street near Lenox Avenue in the heart of Harlem. If you take the bridge across the Harlem River, you're right there by the Yankee Stadium, right? It's connection right to Yankee Stadium. So the building is owned by a group, uh, a consortium, Lenox by the bridge, LLC. Why all these landlords always LLC? We'd like to know who they are. That's why they're LLC, right? To hide behind you like a tax shelter in Joe Biden's Delaware. But I digress. And the person who is at odds with Al Slim Shady Sharpton who is saying he doesn't pay any rent is a guy named Bruce Tiddlebough. And you're saying to myself, who the hell is Bruce Tiddlebough? Yeah, he is really a person of no consequence. He used to be the Jewish advisor for the Giuliani administration. You know, we go out there, the big moxer, they will talk to me. I, I'm the number one Jew, right, Bruce Tiddlebough? You shanda, you disgraziata. He went out there last year and he started converting uh, Republicans into rent a Democrats. That's right, he's saying, oh, the Republicans are dead on arrival. They'll never survive in New York City. So why don't you just sell your soul out and become a mercenary in a hessian? You, th- you think I didn't know that, Bruce Donovan, huh? So now, poetic justice, he won't pay you and the consortium at your LLC, you want to try to bring Al Slim Shady Sharpton to tenant landlord court? His complexion will be his protection. Twelve others have done it, including Leona Helmsley. Yes, the queen of Maine, who was in a life and death financial battle with who? Donald Trump, citizen Donald Trump over the ownership of the Empire State Building. And guess who won? It wasn't Donald Trump. It's Leona Helmsley who said, remember, only little people pay taxes. Well, that's the other thing. Al Sharpton doesn't pay taxes, not payroll taxes, which is the most egregious. You don't pay payroll taxes. You go to jail because it's other people's money that you're not paying taxes on. But I digress. Let's talk about this particular situation of the Empire State Building. Matt Blaze, you probably don't remember because at that particular time, you were in a drug-induced psychosis somewhere in rehab in the Catskills. I get it. You had a serious nose candy problem like a lot of Americans, but you rebounded. A lot of people have rebounded. Sid Rosenberg, who will be hosting with Bernard McGurk, the number one morning news talk program in the nation now, number one in the nation. That's right, Alex, at WABC, the flagship station of the Frank Murano Network, used to do the nose candy. Tony Bennett, I uh, told you his background, dive-bombed and hit, uh, hit bottom doing cocaine in 1979. A lot of people have done it. Doesn't matter, liberal, progressive, conservative, apolitical. Don't do the nose candy. It's brutal. But he was a tenant in the Empire State Building with its National Action Network, and then the attack of 9-11 came. And obviously, you know, it took down the two towers of the World Trade Center. Many died. Many were injured. And it took uh, New York City a while and America a while to recover. Not some Shady Sharpton. He stopped paying rent. So Leon Hounsley said, my little pretty, you have to pay rent. Your complexion is not your protection. And he went into tenant landlord court months later, went before the judge. The judge said, uh, Mr. Sharpton, I see that you haven't made any payments after the attack of 9-11. He said, Judge, you're absolutely right. I can't get anybody to come to the offices because they're afraid that the Empire State Building will be target number two. And so Leona Helmsley's uh, phalanx of lawyers said, Judge, you're going to accept that? And Al Slim Shady Sharpton looked at the judge, winked. The judge winked back, and yes... Al Slim Shady Sharpton didn't have to pay a penny in rent. The only person on record who beat Leona Helmsley. Very difficult to do. Our
2: numbers? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222.
3: So he's in arrears for his rent there. And I got to tell you, in previous times, uh, it had nothing to do with rent. But the attorney general of the state of New York, uh, Bobby Abrams, Democrat at the time, uh, said that Al Slim Shady Sharpton was not paying his personal taxes, was not paying property taxes, was not paying payroll taxes for the employees of the National Action Network. And mysteriously, right before the warrants were issued to try to collect the receipts that were non-existent, Al Slim Shady Sharpton said, wow. It must have been an electricity malfunction or a lightning strike, better known as Jewish lightning, Jewish electricity. That's really what he meant because the landlord was Jewish, just like in this case, Bruce about And he said, Oh, all the receipts have gone up in smoke. And he stood outside of his old headquarters with a portrait of Adam Clayton Powell. He was in his galoshes, his boots, and he was crying. Meantime, he was laughing at all of us because Bobby Abrams backed off. He said, well, what am I going to do? You know, he got hit by my people's lightning. He you believe that? He got away with that. Like he's got away with so much. Like that Reverend Whitehead. Oh, yeah, Reverend Whitehead in Kenassie, just four blocks from where I was born and raised. He had a uh, sermon today in which he was saying, I'm the victim of racism. I am being... A victim in so many ways that you don't know. It's just two Sundays ago, three homeboys came in with toolies at my head. They stripped me down of all my bling bling, right on down to my gold jockstrap. Took my gold jockstrap, gold leaf on my jockstrap. Nobody questioned that, like, what kind of a freak would have gold leaf on their jockstrap? Put a toolie to my wife's head, stripped her of all her bling bling. Uh, how much was it worth, Revin? 400000 Wait, let me reassess that. It took him a day. A million dollars. You think that's a little high? You're right. Let me bring it back down to 400000 And who said there was fraudulent an attempt to swindle the insurance company? Our own Dominic Carter. Hey, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I figured, let the black man point the finger at the other black man. I got enough problems from blacks thinking that, what's wrong with you, Curtis? You're always going after Al Slim Chady it. Well, they're right about that. Our numbers
2: 1 800 uh, That's 1 800 848
3: 9222. my. Oh, I can't wait to talk about John Lennon ripping Paul McCartney and New Tuchis. A letter that has surfaced that will be uh, auctioned at South Beach for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's documentary evidence of what I've been saying. That's why I hate Paul McCartney, that bubblegum Paul McCartney. You're not going to want to miss it. Don't go to sleep on me. Don't switch. And by the way, if you want to be productive, let's find out where where Frank Morano might be. Where in the world is Frank Morano? He doesn't seem to want to come to work, that's for sure, like a lot of hipsters and millennials. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John.
6: Hi, Curtis. Here's the answer as to why there are no Loch Ness monsters. It's known as an asteroid impact that hit the Earth 66.4 million years ago. Now, no. hold on
3: a second, John. So 56.4 million? How did you get to .4 66, million? It's 66.4. Oh,
6: Radiometric dating on, on, on the layer. This is the layer where the asteroid, the, 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 in the geologic column, when the asteroid hit what's now the Yucatan Peninsula and uh, mm-hmm. created such turmoil in the Earth's biosphere that it killed off all the dinosaurs except for birds. And also it killed off rottenness monsters and other large sea creatures.
3: God. John, would you do me a favor if. There's uh,
5: probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably not a pleasing sort of lockdown.
3: Uh, John, if uh, management forces my hand and says that I must have an expert on these silly, inane subjects, would you be willing to volunteer your knowledge, your services, and your vast pool of references to this effort? If I was still working
6: as a paleontologist, I would. But I, I'm just a member of. I'm just now more John
3: Q. Public right now. Oh so. no, no 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 no! Don't 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 downgrade yourself, John. <laughs> you how how long did you study paleontology? Four years. That's a lot so. of time studying fossils, pal. So, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's not too exciting to crack open rocks all day and look at fossils. I mean, I know guys who went to prison who were busting rocks and there were no fossils in them. They had to do it from 9 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, busting rocks in the prison yard.
6: I have a dirty little secret to tell you. I was doing statistical analysis of paleontological data. So I was actually more working in laboratories and computers
3: analyzing data than i was actually out in the field well no no no. that's important you are an analyst to research it without which the uh, folks who go out into the field and gather up all the nuts like a squirrel does before the winter uh without all that data without all your valuable research uh nothing would come to fruition you know that john that's part of it
6: but you know John people, John uh,
3: oh, let me address you because you seem to be suffering from low self-esteem and not understanding I'm
6: not low low self-esteem well you're not, not giving
3: yourself credit where credit is due you spent 4 years in your life that you'll never get back busting <laughs> rocks open <laughs> and looking at fossils
6: I spent longer much longer time for, uh, opening rocks Opening locks, did you say to put I your spent schmear? Much, much longer time, uh, over a decade, cracking open rocks and looking, looking for fossils. I can, started when I was a kid.
3: Now, can I ask you a question, John? Is your life so meaningless that as a child, instead of frolicking out there and playing with other children, you felt felt your mission in life was to collect rocks, open them up, and search for fossils?
6: No. That wasn't my mission in
3: life, but it was something I was very passionate about. Well, you see, that's good. That's good. You see, now you're on a different path. You're all the way up. You see this theme song. You're all the way up because you didn't let people like myself deter you. You didn't let pejorative remarks keep you down. You were probably a geek, a schmendrick, a pitcher. You probably had a pocket protector like Frank Morano, with all your pens up front. You probably were wearing glasses in which you had duct tape that sort of kept the glasses together. Am I right, John?
6: Uh, no, but I was walking around with geological field hammers when it was out in the field collecting fossils or, or shovels. What
3: was that like? What was that like, carrying, schlepping all that material around? Did you ever get excited when you saw a particular rock that you hadn't seen and it was, like, better than a sexual excitement?
6: No, but maybe if I saw a complete fossil of something I was looking for, I I would be very excited.
3: God. You know, for years I would get the National Geographic delivered at home so I could see women without... uh, Without any tops on, you know, the mammary uh, glands, because in their native uh, tribal areas of Indonesia and parts around there, Borneo, that was the tradition. So I would get my excitement that way. I could just imagine you were getting a brand new edition of Natural Geographic that showed all the latest fossils, and you had like ecstasy and excitement like you wouldn't believe.
6: I didn't need that, Curtis. If I knew I was going to one of my favorite fossil localities in the tri-state area and collecting fossils, that would give me enough of an emotional high.
3: Could I describe it as a form of intellectual stimulation, John? You could say that. Well, look, much better that that muscle between both ears be stimulated than the muscle below your navel, which could get you into double trouble and potentially a shotgun wedding, right? True. Oh, you see, you see, we now agree we're on the same plane. John, may I salute you on behalf of all paleontologists around the world. You have withstood the ridicule, the criticism, the the demeaning aspect that I have approached this conversation with you on. And you have survived the test, John. I've taken it with a grain of salt.
6: We've met a number of times in person, as I've told you in the past. So.
3: John John, I cannot have any salt. I already have high blood pressure. Please don't try to put me over the top. <laughs> By the way, I no, want you, Curtis. I want you to respond, John, to the paleontologist that I spoke to just a week ago. After years of dedicated research, after catching salmon in his bare hands in Kodiak, Alaska, after going to the sook in Morocco and chewing hash after taking the Marrakesh Express, he came to this conclusion. There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably not a to sir lockdown. Do you concur, John? Does your research concur with that? It's not my research. It's what I know from the fossil
6: record. And he's absolutely right. As I said, they were killed off 66.4 million years ago by By the the same asteroid that killed off the non avian dinosaurs.
3: Nine. You counted them. Nine.
6: No, not the nine. The non-avian, the non-bird dinosaurs were wiped
3: out. Okay, now, question here. The fleasiosaurus were wiped out. Question here, John. So your particular pension, your desire, your passion to pursue this, would you say it goes into contract with the paleontologist who insists after spending time in Morocco chewing hash that in fact... There's probably not a lockdown sponsor there. There's probably
5: not a pleasure to start lockdowns.
6: I agree with him completely. It has nothing to do with his personal habits. It's just what the scientific data tells us.
3: Do me a favor, Avery... Uh, as uh, our telephone talent coordinator, could you uh, alert our celebrity booker, Jennifer Grod, that I never want to talk to John again. I really don't. Where, where do these people come from? They dedicate their entire lives to research. They're excited by Sasquatch, by the Loch Ness Monster. And then they come to the conclusion?
5: There's probably not a Loch Ness Monster there. There's probably not a Pleasius or Loch Ness.
2: Can I have the numbers, please? 1 800 That's 1 800 848 It's
0: the other side of midnight with Frank Murano.
3: I only trust you and you alone on this Frank Morano wrecking crew. You're on loan from the other side of midnight over the weekends where you are the brothers from another planet. We are the most diverse of production teams at WABC, where I am the only Caucasoid. Everyone's a brother or a sister. I forget what her name is, Carmela Camercito. What the hell is the name from Canarsie? What is her name, Avery? That's... Oh, Camellia. Camellia, okay. But uh, as you can see, we are playing the theme from Zorba because I am wondering if our producer, the brown nose for the Frank Morano show, whose uh, schnoz is all the way up to Tukas or Frank Morano, if he himself is not fossilized like fossilized wood, you know... Uh, By the way, Brownells, could you come in here a second because I'm uh, tracking. I'm tracking now with the Curtis Lieber Global Positioning uh, System where it is that Frank Morano might be in the world. I have it on good authority because we're following the social networking posting of his very dear friend, a man who was his best man at his wedding to Rachel. I certainly wasn't chosen, although I thought I was more deserving. And then a man who was there at the christening uh, of his uh, son, now 40 pounds, Carmine. I wasn't even invited. And a man who took uh, center stage at the recent barbecue uh, at the Ponderosa for Frank Marano, where not only I and uh, Broadway Bill Lee, my board operator on loan from uh, WCBS FM, an iconic individual, if uh, ever there was. And Avery, our telephone talent coordinator and nighttime producer, who quite frankly was told the only way you would be invited to the Frank Marano barbecue is if you were delivering Domino pizzas. So I have uh, taken it upon myself, I've taken the liberty to look at all the Facebook posts, the tweets from the twits out there, the Instagram posts, and I have determined that Frank Morano has been in the company of uh, this Eric Adams, Republican Joe Borelli, who is like attached to him like an appendage. They might as well be like Siamese twins, two pieces in a pod, a soup in a carriage, a horse and a carriage, because they play ping pong all the time. Am I right or wrong about that, huh? No, you're absolutely right. They do play ping pong together all the time. Which is uh, a red Chinese sport, right?
4: Uh, yeah I guess so oh yes. don't
3: don't they always play ping pong over in Beijing
4: yes they do So,
3: so I understand that Matt plays sickle fan that he is and you uh, Alex you have petition management here to have a ping pong table put into our cafeteria yes that's correct
4: yeah for what purpose? Hey, ping pong's fun. I'm pretty good at ping pong myself. Oh, actually. really? Yeah. Really? yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, well, okay. Can we send you on a one way trip to Beijing? You could play against real ping pong players. If only I spoke the language. The red chat. Whoa. We can take care of that. What would you like to speak? Mandarin or Cantonese? Huh? What would you? What would you prefer? Prefer what dialect? Well, since most people in China speak Mandarin, then Mandarin. So nice of you to come to that conclusion. I show you documentary evidence of uh, one Joe Borelli, Republican minority leader of the city council, known Republican and conservative, but a man who has turned out to be a Eric Adams Republican. Uh, Who is that man standing next to him on the balcony here off the island of Kyros in Greece?
4: Well, you know, Curtis,
3: I would have to adjust. Who is the guy You, you work with him every night when he decides to come to work and not vacation. It may or may not be Frank Morano. God, it's like pulling teeth here. It's Frank Morano. They've been on vacation now going on two weeks. You know, I consider that. I consider that being like a deadbeat and a slacker. And now they've caused problems at home in the Sliwa household. What is it my wife told you at the end of the Animal Welfare Hour, which preceded the Dominic Carter show on the flagship station of the Frank Marano Network, WABC? What did she tell you?
4: She asked, boy, how many days does this Murano guy get for vacation? And now she's bugging me that she wants me to go
3: on a vacation, right? That right? is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Things were going so well. I mean, well, was she, my... Sixth wife, I think. Wait a second, wait, let me do the math. She was the keeper. Everything was going well. You know, until the day I die, I work, I work, and now she wants to go on a vacation. Oofah! Socialists, Democratic Socialist of America, acolyte of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Justice Warriors. But now I have the documentary evidence in my hands that I've been waiting for, ladies and gentlemen, for years, for years. I am in disparaged because I am not a sickle fan, toady and lackey of the Beatles. I... Hate the Beatles, loathe them, despise them, never liked them when I was growing up. Unlike so many others that were part of the Beatles cult. And especially at this flagship station, WABC, where they took the acronym, created an exclusive jingle package when they came across the pond to America, and called it WA Beatles C the flagship station of the Frank Marano Network. I will be the first to admit that I did not listen to WABC, except for at night I would uh, occasionally listen to Cousin Brucey, a.k.a. Bruce Morrow, the number one disc jockey of all time. The greatest, the G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. And I did a tribute to him, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, both Saturday and Sunday, Information the likes of which most of you never knew about. And if you would like to find out what I was running my mouth about in tribute to Cousin Brucey, just go to wabcradio.com, look at the listing of the podcasts. You'll see, wow, there are a lot of Curtis Lever shows. Take the time to meticulously find it. And boy, you'll learn a lot. But now I have knockus. I have such joy. Because when all was said and done, I liked John Lennon. After the uh, breakup of the Beatles, I liked John Lennon. I really did. Even though his politics did not certainly makes one mine. I sort of like George Harrison. Menze, menze, poco, poco. But I think he spent too much time at the ashram in India. And uh, I don't think it was Yogi that he was uh, fortified with. I think it was uh, Psychedelic Shack, that's where it's at, LSD and Shrooms. I really do. My opinion, I have no documentary evidence on that. I hated Ringo. I really did. No, he has survived at 82, but I thought of him as a bubblegum drummer. Really, like there's Ringo. You know, they had the cartoon series, and I said, what a caricature. And then the person that I hated the most and still do. It's Paul McCartney. I always recognize him to be a fake, phony, fraudulent fugazi. (gasps) So many of you, oh, my God, there's Paul McCartney and then there's Jesus Christ, right? In which order? And recently, when he was at MetLife Stadium, three-hour concert at 80 on his birthday, you said, oh, look at him. Look at him. The fortitude, the energy, the creativity. And who came up on the stage to honor him and play with him? A farmer, Bruce Springsteen, who loves to write off his property taxes by claiming he's now into agriculture, homegrown, Amelia, Hindu Kush. God only knows what else he's putting in his pipe. From Rumson and the 1% is no longer the working class guy that all of you got propagandized into believing. And then who jumped on board? Bon Jovi with his VO5 hairspray. In his bouffant, that has led to the erosion of the ozone layer, yes, and contributed to climate change and global warming. And I looked at all three of them up on that MetLife Stadium, and I said, "Wow, what do what do what do what do all three have in common? I hate them all." I know many of you are saying, "God, you hate so many people." Sliwa, you're a hater. Ah, I love John Lennon, although I didn't love his politics. Who could ever forget? John Lennon and Yoko Ono in that bed, that sort of perfect sleeper there at the airport. And they were fornicating and copulating there, no sheets over them. Like some people were doing now in the empty dining sheds in Greenwich Village where you can walk by morning, noon, and night. And you look down and say, my God, it's Plato's Retreat. I didn't think a human being could get into that position and pleasurize another human being. They're like gumbies there. Oh, but this is New York 2020. It's like Plato's retreat. But I digress, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know that from my memories, and you know, look, I've been hit in the head many, many times. People have said, Wow, you're sixty-eight. You've aged well, of course. The collagen has been moved around naturally by force of blunt instruments. Bats, sticks, pipes. Now, I wouldn't recommend it to our female listeners or even our male listeners or all of you who are determining at any given moment which one of the 72 gender identifications with you're satisfied with at that moment. It really doesn't matter to me. It all comes down to, are you an XX chromosome? A femme fatale. Or are you a macho, maniacal uh, stallion who's been neutered? You know, hey, look, what can I say? It happens with us when we get married. All of a sudden, what do we feel like? We feel like it's gone. Where did our manhood go? Our humanity left us many, many years ago. But our manhood left us. And you know what we became? Matt Blaze. With that fake, phony, fraudulent name, we became geldings. Marriage does that to you. And Frank Morano has found that out. Look, it's not because of Rachel. It's just the nature of what happens. You have a child, and then all of a sudden, hmm, you're no longer the priority. It's the baby, as it should be. Carmine, all 40 pounds of that love and joy that he provides to his mother, Rachel, and to his... uh, Father, Frank. But as a result, you don't have that urge to merge like you used to when you were like bunny rabbits, right? I mean, come on, it's happened to me. It's happened to all of you. I don't care how much Viagra, Cialis, Lovitra you pop. I don't care how many times Rachel reaches for the brand-new nail polish, the Velveeta nail polish, and Frank just loves the smell of
2: fromage. Uh, Well, I am quite fond of cheese. (laughs) I would actually love a Velveeta-scented nail polish. I think that would be great. Of course. It titillates
3: you. It excites you. But still, when you have a child, it's just not the same. No, no, no. I don't care who you are out there. Whether you happen to be Irish and you don't believe in birth control and you say, What are you talking about? Look at all 13 kids I have It No. Look at Alec Baldwin. No. I just know from personal experience. And then it alters your life. And then you think back to the better days in your life when you were just a little whippersnapper listening to your Sony transistor radio during Beatlemania. And oh, yes, people don't realize that the Beatles... 1963 I remember my sister Alita she was all gaga goo goo I want to hold your hand she kept playing it over and over on the vinyl enough already she loves you and I said to uh, Alita you know that may be a lesbian reference Uh, you're a little too young to be uh, dabbling with that she said what are you talking about I said I'm not even going to get into an argument here But in 63, nobody was taking the Beatles seriously. No, not at WABC, not at their competition, WINS. Oh, no, 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 I know a lot of you are saying, isn't that the all-news station? You know, every 20 minutes, we're going to rock your world with news that we already told you, hour after hour after hour, I read already. And WMCA, which had the good guys compared to the all-Americans at WABC, nobody was taking the Beatles seriously. And then in 1964, let me connect the dots for you. A man named Sid Bernstein arrived as the Swifty Lazar and coordinated the arrival of the Fab Four. They played Carnegie Hall, packed house. And Alita and her girlfriends and all the other femme fatales with high levels of estrogen were screeching, yelling, hooting, hollering. And... Unfortunately, we're splitting their nylons. Had to go out and get more pantyhose. And then they appeared on the stage with Ed Sullivan. Remember that? I watched Ed Sullivan every Sunday night waiting for Topo Chico, the little Italian mouse. How many times was I disappointed? But on that night, the Fab Four brought down the house. And then all of a sudden, people started to take them seriously. But you need to know there was a scrum. There was Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree. Oh, yeah. He was over at WMCA. And boy, he put on all the shows downtown Brooklyn, all the rock and roll shows. Murray the K and the Swinging Soiree. He wore that fedora, that checkerboard fedora. And he had the jump. He was considered the fifth Beatle. So they said at WABC, you know, where a dollar short and a day late. This guy, Murray the K, has been dubbed the fifth Beatle. It's going to be his. And then all of a sudden, talented individuals began working behind the scenes and created exclusive jingle packages, which are so critical to radio, and then came up with the acronym that rocked the rock and roll world when they said WABC, synonymous with the Beatles, W A Beatles C. Our number is one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-W-A-B-C. Now, I know a lot of you Beatle-maniacs, of which I'm not, are wondering why this outlier, Curtis Lewa, one of the few who hates the Beatles, especially Paul McCartney, would be giving us a historical background trip on the time machine through Beatlemania. I know you, Matt Blazier, you're shaking your head and saying, well, it's a good choice of topics because for this national syndicated show, everybody knows the Beatles, right? I mean, if they don't know the Beatles, you're talking special ed here, right? Uh, that would mean they would make a perfect juror on a case to be in the jury pool. Because when they say, do you know nothing about nothing? Oh, absolutely. I don't even know the Beatles. Pick them for the jury. Pick them for the jury. You know John Lennon? No. You know Paul McCartney? No. Ringo Starr, never heard of him. George Harrison? Absolutely not. You are the perfect juror, my friend. Can I have the numbers, please, since I'm not permitted to give the numbers? This is an outrage, a real outrage.
2: 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Oh,
3: this brought me such great knockouts. Alex, the brown nose, tried to keep this from me because he knew I would be titillated and excited to know that an angry letter written by John Lennon to Paul McCartney is expected to fetch $400,000 at a Sotheby's auction. Well, it's not that. Obviously, there are people into memorabilia. They would buy stinky socks if they had been worn by Ringo Starr. And just discarded after one performance. Oh, four million dollars. Please, I can sniff the socks and feel like, I can feel like I'm close to Ringo, you freak. Oh, there are those foot fetish people out there. They would pay all kinds of money. But this three-page diatribe was composed by Lennon. Months after the spectacular breakup of the Beatles, always blamed on Yoko, right? Always blamed on Yoko.
0: Oh, 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 oh.
3: I always felt that forget Dick Cheney going down to Gitmo and waterboarding the um, Al Qaeda enemies of America and the world. Just put them in a room, sleep deprivation, and play Yoko Ono over and over and over again. You wouldn't have to waterboard them. I guarantee you within four hours, they'd be giving up the information. Whether it is uh, Khalid the Schmuck Mohammed, mastermind of the World Trade Center blast, the second one. Or Ramzi Youssef, who when being flown back from the Philippines where he had devised the plan to fill the bellies of airliners with bombs and crash them into buildings. The FBI said, Ramsey, why did you choose The World Trade Center, both towers. He said, to be honest, it's where we could kill the most Jews. Most Jews in one spot. You know, he says, we had already canvassed Borough Park in Brooklyn, Crown Heights, Flatbush, Williamsburg. But in one location, our perception was there were more Jews in the World Trade Center. Why did you think that, Ramsey Youssef? Because it was described as the financial center, the epicenter of the world, and everyone knows the Jews control all the money. What a whack a doodle! They should have dropped him right there out of the helicopter, right? Remember that scene uh, when uh, Scarface? Remember when he's going down to visit the median cartel with the, his uh, actual mentor, and all of a sudden the shot caller said, "You stay here. You stay here." Pacino, you stay right here. Uh, Your friend has got somewhere to go, and they took him up on that helicopter, remember, and they dropped him off. That's what they should have done to Ramsey Youssef. Bang! Do you think society would have uh, benefited from that? I think so. But I digress here. Let me read this letter, this poison pen letter that has brought me so much joy and knockers. It's proved my point. John Lennon at the time was 31 years old, and he was furious with McCartney over an interview that McCartney had done weeks earlier with the music magazine Melody Maker. Both these uh, Beatles had a turbulent relationship. The tensions had boiled over after McCartney sued the Beatles following their split in 1970. In the suit, McCartney sought the dissolution of the band's Contractual partnership after John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison appointed manager Alan Klein to preside over their financial fi- affairs. Why do we think that Paul McCartney did this? Because Alan Klein was a Jew. Well, I'm, uh, I'm extrapolating on that. I really don't know. But wasn't that the whole point of that video that was done by NWA, Remember? Remember how they broke on the founding member Eze e because they said he had hired a Jewish manager? Remember that video that was done by Ice Cube, Ice Trey, Ice T, Vanilla Ice, one of the Ices? And Dr. Trey, remember, now a billionaire. You know, you bought those stupid headphones, you idiots out there. He's a billionaire. And they both proved that they hated Jews because every year they would be at the Savior's event at the McCormick Center in Chicago to hear the vile anti-Semitic diatribes of screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam. He would introduce to the crowd, look, look, look who's here, it's Ice Cube. I hate Jews. Look, Dr. J. I hate Jews. Look, it's Snoop Doggy Dog. Let me do puff, puff, pass, and I'll tell you what I think of Jews afterwards. And oh my God, it broke my heart to so see in that crowd, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. God, Avery, you know you love Chaka Khan, boy. Excitement. I had jungle fever when I would see Chaka Khan. And I'll never forget the time in Grant Park in Chicago when I was training the first wave of the Guardian Angels, and they despised us, they loathed us, the police and the elected officials, walking around the park, looking at Lake Michigan, It's Chaka Khan, and she looked at me and she said, the Guardian Angels, I love them. <gasps> Jungle fever. But she loves screwy Louie Farrakhan and the message of the nation, which is, blame everything on the Jews like history has always done. But why do I digress? I have no idea if the fact that Alan Klein was appointed to preside over the financial affairs of all the Beatles caused them uh, to immediately erupt and go their separate ways. I'm just extrapolating and assuming. Because everybody knows that Paul McCartney was in a purple haze all the time. I mean, the guy would be smoking nickel and dime bags all day. Oh, they never said that. But if you had been in his proximity when he was on his bicycle, riding around out there in the Southamptons, you could get a contact high, and he was 500 yards away. It was like you were being shotgun, Matt Blaze, as you were blazing away yourself. So let me continue. It's all very well-playing, simple, honest, old human Paul. In Melody Maker wrote John Lennon, But if you're not the aggressor as you claim, who the hell took us to court and defecated all over us in public? Lennon aggressively asked in the letter, Who are you, Paul? We don't recognize you any longer, George. Ringo. Myself And, of course, Yoko. That probably incited the hell out of Paul. Said, you know, what the hell is Yoko doing here? Can I read verbatim uh, from the letter? Oh, yes, it's uh, very well typed. Uh, Maybe John Lennon was a stenographer. I don't know. Uh, He seemed to type, well, a hell of a lot better than, than I would type. And he writes to a collection. He writes, this is John Lennon, Dear Paul, Linder, and all... Thank you for your call. We give you money for your bits of Apple, which was the exclusive domain of Paul McCartney and Linda, eventually to become hot wings, as you know. We give you more money in the form of royalties, which legally belong to all of us. But we do that so as to not disrupt the harmony of the Fab Four. But I must tell you now, I repeat... What about the taxes? Whoa. Notice they're socialists. Oh, they have a world view. They went to the ashram. They pledged poverty to, uh, who is that? Uh, which perv uh, guru was that? Uh, there was perving on their girlfriends, and that's why... John Lennon left. That's why uh, I believe it was George Harrison in his drug-induced psychosis who left and left behind Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. That's why I hate them. Maharishi Yogi Yagi or whatever the hell his name was. And then remember Ravi Shankar was playing the sitar there. It's all very well playing. Simple, honest, old human Paul in the Melody Maker. But you know damn well we can't just sign a bit of paper. You say, John... John won't do it. I will if you indemnify against the tax man. Think of it the 87,000 new IRS agents that will be coming on board with this new stimulus bill that was just passed. And many of you Republicans are saying, I had faith in Manchin. I thought he was one of us. And then he flipped the script and he went with the Democrats. He's a freaking politician. They all go wherever the money is. They get bribed. But what was John Lennon talking about? The tax man. Because everyone must pay taxes, right? I'll never forget it was DMX. He was sitting on the sofa of the BET girls. Why do I digress like this? He grew up in the Schlowbein projects of Yonkers, right in the ghetto square. He was living off of government brick cheese. He didn't have two nickels to rub together, and suddenly he was rolling in millions and millions of dollars. And I remember in the middle of the interview, DMX, sober one of the few times, got up in the middle and said, almost like Kanye West, George W. Bush hates black people. Except in this case, he said, I hate effing George W. Bush. He took 50% of my paycheck. Yes, DMX, everybody has to pay taxes. As Leona Helmsley said, only the little people pay taxes.
0: It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
3: The breakup of the Fabulous Four was not because of Yoko Ono, was not because of Linda McCartney. It was over the tax man. $400,000 and you too can have this document. Perfectly tied by John Lennon himself. A few, a few, a few miscues, but... Uh, can I continue to read? Because you have never heard this before. Neither on television, neither in freaking podcasts. Oh, I, I could have swore I heard that in a podcast. I hate podcasts. You want to do a podcast? And don't listen to radio because radio is this thing of ours. Oh, uh, I'm going to listen to it on podcasts. I know you can. Why don't you want to listen to it live as I'm dictating to you right now? And by the way... You will not go to sleep until the break of dawn. I intend on amping it up. Let me get back to the script. You say John won't do it. I will if you indemnify us against the tax man. Anyway, you know, Paul, after we have our meeting, the effing lawyers will have to implement whatever we agree on, right? If they had some form of agreement between us before we met, it might make it a little easier. It's up to you, Paul. As we've said many times, we'll meet you whenever you like. Just make up your mind! Two weeks ago, I asked you on the phone, please, Paul, let's meet without advisors and decide what we want. I especially emphasized the accountant that you rely on versus the accountant that we want. But you refused, right? You said under no condition would you sell to us. And if we didn't do what you wanted, you'd sue us again. And that Ringo and George are going to break you, John. Now, I was quite straight with you that day, Paul. And you tried to shoot me down with your emotional logic. If you're not the aggressor, as you claim, who the hell took us to court? and defecated all over us in public. Wow, this is really good stuff. This is it Paul McCartney and John Lennon going back and forth. Who knew this? Because nobody had tapped the telephone, the phone conversation they had. We have only this document to depend on, and I have it in my hands here. You don't. Who was buying up Northern Songs shares before my back? Even before your accountant came in, Who's the guy threatening to finish Ringo? Who was warning me on the phone two weeks ago? Who said he'd get us, whatever the cost? As I've said before, Paul, have you ever thought that you might possibly be wrong about something? Well, I guess Paul was very much like Sid Rosenberg here. By the way, do I have to promote? Gotta promote his freaking book. Steal this book, Citizens United, salacious spiel, stories, suggestions, and solutions to withstand a woke world. Please steal this book. Take me out of my misery. Got to promote this every hour, like twice sometimes. I'm the man. Yeah, I'm sure you are, Sid. But you're just like Paul McCartney, according to John Lennon. You couldn't ever acknowledge that you would be wrong. So John Lennon goes on and says, look, just meet with us. Let's get back to the way things used to be when we were up and coming lads in Liverpool. You know, but you won't do it. You said under no condition, under no condition, were you going to sit with us without your lawyers and accountants. Now, I was quite straight with you that day, Paul, and you tried to shoot me down over and over again. If you're not the aggressor, as you claim, why do you continue to want to take us to court over and over? You you think this guy, John Lennon, was a little obsessive? It's like this is like husband and wife, not like friends, like bandmate. This is the way husbands and wives are when... They get into divorce court and they decide, let's try to resolve our differences without the divorce lawyers who suddenly say, I tell you what, from now on, you don't talk to your wife, you don't talk to your husband, you talk to us, the lawyers, because we will collectively sit down and have lunch and screw the both of you. So here is uh, John Lennon continuing uh, to type, oh my God, you know, you're so conceited, you won't admit a mistake. And that pisses all of us off. We're secretly feeling what happened to the Paul that we know. Good God, you must know we're right about everything that we've discussed. Why would you want to have complete control? Please, please. One other little lie in your It's Only Pauly, I'm a Victim routine. Let it be was not the first bit of hype. On a Beatle animal. That's right. Let it be, right? Wow, this is good. Remember Tony? Remember Tony? He's the one who whipped it up. Why won't you give credit? Who's Tony? See, Paul owned the library. Paul claimed that he was the guy who wrote the music, that he should receive the bulk of the money. I noticed they redacted Tony's name out of this. By the way, what happened to my idea of putting the parody of our first album cover on the Let It Be cover. That's John Lennon writing to Paul McCartney. Oh, this is really good stuff. And by the way, Paul, your writing inside of the Wings album isn't exactly realist, is it? Anyway, enough of this petty bourgeois fun. Oh, yeah! Petty bourgeois! The proletarian bourgeois! Workers of the world unite! These are rich billionaires battling in print Oh, this is good. I got to continue to read this. You were right about New York, Paul. I do love it. It's the only place to be. Apart from anything else, they leave you alone, too. Not until they walk up to you and assassinate you. Right, John? Oh, brother. I see you prefer Scotland. I'll bet you your piece of apple and the holdings of the Beatles that you'll be living in New York by 1974, Two years is the usual time it takes you, right, Paul? Another thing, what do you mean big thing in Toronto? It was completely spontaneous. They rang on the Friday. We flew there and played on Saturday. I was sick, Paul. I was stone pissed. Listen to the album, Paul, with no rehearsal, too. Come on, Paul. Own up. We'd never even played together before. Half a dozen times, shows with no big fuss. In fact, we've been doing what you've been talking about doing for three years, Paul. I said it for the benefit of the Beatles. Not for me, Paul. I did not do this for Lennon and Yoko. What's wrong with this guy? He can't even mention his name without mentioning Yoko Ono. Oh, no, something wrong here with John Lennon. You know, it's like these two buddies, like a husband and a wife battling, and then you keep mentioning your Yoko. Man, that ain't going to heal the rift between you, Lennon, and Paul. I'm talking about Lennon as if he's alive, right? Well, in reality, just like Jim Morrison is alive, just like Tupac Shakur is alive, just like Elvis is alive, why can't I start the rumor that John Lennon is alive? It's Machiavelli. Oh, this is so good. My God. Remember the Fillmore East? Remember I went to Billy Graham? I wanted to play at the Fillmore East. But you, Paul, you said no. The Fillmore East is too small, I said. But it is the epicenter of rock and roll. We have to pay tribute to our craft. We can't just go where the money is, Paul. We should have played the Fillmore East Before Billy Graham went down in that helicopter accident. It would have been a good time for all. We were moved on by the cops. We were moved on by the government. We stood up to all of our critics and adversaries when we were all together, Paul. What happened to you? You have cast us under the yellow submarine. He writes, you have cast us under the think he was doing a little drugs at that time the yellow submarine in the yellow submarine so this is john writing again to paul so you think imagine ain't political it's working class here with sugar on it for conservatives like yourself whoa john lennon calls paul mccartney a conservative man he could have a talk show here at wabc i don't know if there's any room for him well they'd make room Maybe take my slot or my multiple slots or Frank Marano, Mr. Vacation Kid, his slot. Wow. He called Paul McCartney a conservative. You obviously didn't dig the words imagine. You took how do you sleep so literally. Read the review of the album in Craw Daddy. Listen, my obsessive old pal Paul. It was George's press conference, not The Accountant. He said what you said, I'd love to come. Anyway, we did it for basically the same reasons the Beatle bit. They still called it a Beatle show with just two of them because you wouldn't come. You wouldn't come. Join the Rock Liberation Front before it gets you, Paul McCartney, my friend. Want to put your photo on the label like uncool John and Yoko it's always John and Yoko, never John by himself. Man, he must have been her Maytag. Ain't you got no shame, Paul? If we're not cool, what does that make you? Wow, is this a poison pen letter? Can I take a payday loan or reverse mortgage? You think I could convince John uh, Katzimatidis to please buy this and I'll pay it off slowly? I, this is the only copy, the only edition. And you're hearing it for the very first time. Exclusive to the Missing in Action Frank Morano Show. Featuring today, the ever-present Energizer Bunny, Curtis Lewa. Oh, but there's more. After he disses and dismisses and drops napalm on Paul McCartney. I guess he was having some separate feelings. John Lennon writes, No hard feelings, Paul. What?! You blew up the relationship, John. I know we basically want the same. And as I said on the phone and in this letter, whenever you want to meet, all you have to do is call. Yeah, you're still waiting in heaven, right, John? All you need, he writes a a song line before he signs it. All you need is love, power to the people, free all prisoners, jail the judges. I like that one, jail the judges. Love and peace. Get it on. And rip them off. Oh, my God, that's socialism. That's music to AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio's ears, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. And then he puts a P.S. I never quite understood what a P.S. was, you know. I thought maybe it was that time of the month. I really misunderstood. What is P.S.? You've already written the Bible here. And I guess you think... I haven't completed my poison pen letter. I still have some bile that's percolating in my soul because I so hate you, Paul. P.S. The beat, the bit that really puzzled us was asking to meet without Linda and Yoko. I know how you think, Paul. I've known you better than you know yourself. Remember, this is John. Remember where we've been. Remember how difficult it has been for so many of us. But let's not go too far. I thought you would have understood by now that I'm Johnny and Yoko. Michael, what is this obsession with attaching Yoko to him like an appendage? I know you're angry at me because I said that... The two of us one time, in a moment of passion, when we weren't necessarily sure of our sexuality, we pulled out our Johnsons and we self-pleasurized in front of one another. I know I shouldn't have said that. And yours was not exactly as supple as mine. And I know I downgraded it and you felt like a mini-me at that point. So maybe that is the reason that you have this angst towards me. But why to George? Why to Ringo? It was just me and you manually pleasurizing ourselves. Not one another, ourselves. Look, I apologize for that, Paul, but, hey, you know, mine is bigger than yours. He writes this, you know, I stick the dagger in. Wow. This is incredible. And all for $400,000, you can have this manuscript. Thank you, uh, friends of Sid Bernstein. Uh, They procured this for me. It is the only copy of the original that exists out there. And they brought it exclusively to you. On the flagship station of the Frank Murano Network, W.A. Beatles C. And I hate the Beatles. But this brings me such knock and such joy that I can prove to all of you after you attacked me, you vilified me, you wrote poisoned emails, you threatened my job, you threatened my child support payments. Because you said, how would you allow a man on a station which is synonymous with the Beatles? W-A-Beatles-C. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. i am so proud that I was right and all of you were wrong. Admit it. Acknowledge it. Come on, come forward. For years, you've been lambasting me. For years, you've said, Curtis, you're obsessed with your hatred for Paul McCartney. Now, there's proof positive. This guy was a millionaire back then, John Lennon, right? And yet, he wrote this letter himself because he wanted it to be like a dagger, he wanted it to be like an arrow that he would shoot right at his best bud, Paul. At one time, he had a masturbating contest with, yes, Paul had to admit it later on during a deposition. And he had to admit, size does count, and John Lennon had the size, and he was a bit on the small size. You see, that's where the true hate comes when it comes to men. It's not about work ethic. It's not about ideology. It's not about any of those things that are important to everything in life. It's about size. Doesn't it always get down to that? 1-800-848-
2: Wait a second. What's the numbers again? Hmm. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222.
3: What am I not permitted to give the numbers? You sycophant, toady, and lackey, mad place. I mean, come on. You've emasculated me. You've humiliated me. But I've used this forum of the missing in action. Let me take a perpetual vacation. Beware of what you hope for, Frank Morano. Right here on the Frank Morano Network and its flagship station, WA
0: Beatles C. 1 800
2: 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 9222.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
3: This straight
4: All the
3: in this poison pen letter that John Lennon wrote to Paul McCartney, it was his and his alone just about two years before his tragic demise at the hands of. Uh, Never trust anybody with three names. Still up there in Attica, triple life without parole. And guess what? There are people who want him paroled. Never bury him in strawberry fields. How about that, huh? Put two bullets in the back of his head first. Give him an option. Say, you know, executioner of John Lennon, uh, we'd like to have a firing squad here. We'd like you to have a cigar, cigarette tipperello, or a blunt. If you like, uh, if you like uh, covering over your eyes, you have that. But we just want to shoot you dead for what you did. You, you, you destroyed New York in 1982 when you executed John Lennon, because afterwards it just wasn't the same. John Lennon would no longer be able to have walked around if he was not the target of the assassin. But when I was walking the streets of New York, you'd run into. Broadway, Joe, Willie Namath, not after that by himself. Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, not by himself after that. Willis Reed, nope, nope, not after that. And uh, the protection that well-known people thought they had completely dissipated. Completely dissipated. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Tony, who's calling from New Jersey. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tony.
1: Good morning, Tony. Uh, Curtis, how are you?
3: My name is not Tony. That's your name.
1: I know. I, I was confused for a second. Yeah, well, you're Curtis, very confused.
3: You're very confused, Tony.
1: Uh, always, always. It's two 2.30 in the morning.
3: Uh, who isn't? Uh, well, are you somehow implying that I'm confused? Uh, who isn't? That, that includes me here, huh? We all are. We all are at 2.30 in the morning. All right, I'll accept that. All right, Curtis, you ever meet a
1: guy that was made to sell hot dogs? You know, he knew where the sauerkraut was. He knew where the mustard was. He knew where the rolls were. He knew where the Coca-Cola was or the Sprite was. I'm the guy that was made to be on radio but never took advantage of it. Mm. I had other things to do in my life, and now... 2.30 2.30 in the morning, I'm calling you.
3: Anyway. We, we You realize, Tony, with that introduction, we have a special connection because for many, many years, that's what I lived on, dirty water hot dogs. There is a connection. I feel it right now in my gonad. We all did. We
1: all did. We all did. Yes. All did. yes. Anybody 45, 40, 40, 45, 50 and above, who didn't live on a dirty water dog? If you didn't, you didn't live. That's my feeling. But anyway.
3: Question first, Tony, before you continue your diatribe. Who do you side with after you heard that very personal but very poison pen letter written by John Lennon to Paul McCartney in the midst of the breakup of the Beatles? Would you have sided with John or would you have sided with Paul?
1: I would have sided with neither. But here's my point now. That letter you just read sounded like a letter that Kamala Harris would write to Joe Biden for not picking her to be the next president of the United States. That's my feelings. How about you?
3: Well, that's very intuitive of you. You are absolutely right. I'm looking at all the polling data here of Democrats who obviously would love Joe Biden to possibly retire right now with Dr. Fauci. But they're stuck with him, and we're all stuck with him to the end of his term. And I see that pretty boy Gus Newsom is ahead in the Democratic polls, along with Buttigieg, 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 Buttigieg. And you're right. Biden has not anointed giggles. There you go. Harris as his successor. And by the way, you see, as much as Joe Biden has lost most of his memory, you know what he hasn't forgotten, Tony? What's that? When he was on that stage in Detroit... And Senator Harris turned to him and called him a racist. Remember that?
1: Oh the little girl, the little girl who was denied her opportunity by Joe Biden. I remember it very, very well because anyone that could pick somebody to be a VP after what she called him has to be you say it, Yes, you give
3: it. but remember Tony, he was looking for XX chromosome with the melanin complexion to give him his of protection course. from Donald Trump, who was the president at that time. And you know who reminded him of that fact every morning in the basement when they were hiding Joe Biden, the former vice president? You know who I we... knew exactly who gave it Frank Morano. No. No. Nope. Dr. Jill. Dr. Jill. What is she a doctor of? She's a doctor of Ugats. She's a doctor of Stunat. Very good. I like that better. A doctor of of Stunat. Tony, you and I, we have bonded. There's some kind of synergy, and it all started with a dirty water hot dog. You see what brings people together who are so far apart? Call started out with malice. It was not intended to be bonding. No, it was not. But boy, when he mentioned that dirty water hot dog, he got my attention. I know, Avery, you're salivating at the mere thought of having a dirty water hot dog at 3 o'clock in the morning. Would you like it with or without mustard? Would you like it, Avery, with sauerkraut and onions? Or would you like it with ketchup? What kind of a man... Would eat a hot dog with ketchup. Anyway, in the next hour, as I calm myself down and take a little swig of liquid Prozac, I have been told that I must do this, that I have to uh, do a uh, a cut and paste. Now, the Racket Report of Frank Morano. if you've ever gone to WABCradio.com, yes, I said it, Alex, you brown nose. don't mention WABC, the affiliates might get upset. No, they won't. But if you go to WABCradio.com, you see the massive number of podcasts. You'll see the Racket Report, and you'll say, who is that guy in that pinstripe suit that shines in the dark? Yes, it's the Mama Luke, Frank Morano. In other pictures, he looks like a geek, a schmendrick, a pitcher. He's got the pocket protector. He's got the glasses with, with the tape that's keeping it together. How does he go from, uh, from looking like less than a man to all of a sudden somebody who's thrusting his chest out there like he's ready to be a made man? Remember that scene in Goodfellas? Joe Pesci is going to be uh, his ceremony, and the man, Robert De Niro, who can never be made, what idiots, all those non-Italians who are like, oh, I'm going to join the mafia, but they're never going to recognize me as being their equal. I can never be a made man. I could kill 92 people. I'm a person of no consequence. But an Italian guy could actually break a nail, somebody's nail, somebody's cuticle, and he gets to be sworn in with the mask card burnt in his hand as he swears himself. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, isn't it?
2: This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So...
0: I feel your words, the tender, trembling moments start. We're in our world, our very own, sharing a love that only few have ever known.
3: Nah, that face,
0: wine colored days,
3: unbelievable. Matt Blaze, just He's inept, at night, dollar short, day late. So no Here's a man who lives up to his sky. name, Blaze. I mean, seriously, we uh, did you hit the bong before you came onto your shift? This is horrible. This is horrible. This is so beneath my mob talk standards. This is like a, what a lounge lizard might sing on your way to Atlantic City before you get to watch Frank Morano lose all of his money shooting craps at the Borgato. We will try to regroup, ladies and gentlemen, enough of this. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. I'm not, I, don't want, I don't want the Godfather. I really don't. Everybody plays the Godfather. When I go to visit my cousin Joey G, the Cheech in Howard Beach, right? I go visit my cousin Jeannie and Joey, and I ring the bell. What do you think it plays? The Godfather theme. You know, and I call up phones of many of my cousins who actually sided with the Gottis and said, yeah, you should kill our cousin. Uh, The ringtone, it's the Godfather. Enough for the Godfather. Oh, God. All right, I'll accept Bobby Darren. No fellas action, but you couldn't get Johnny Fontaine, right? You couldn't get the Al Martino version at the wedding. You know, so you you, 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 you just caused me to want to take this microphone, the 50,000-pound for Watson sound of the flagship station of the Frank Marano Network, and impale myself. Because I think you're doing this on purpose, an act of sabotage. You know what you're having, Matt Blaze? We call it separation anxiety because without Frank Morano, you're just a pitcher. You're a board operator of no consequence. You're right, Avery. You know, thank God you have departed from our weekend crew where we got the brothers and sisters. And, man, we know we, hope, we know how to rock until the break of dawn. These guys here, the McWhitey-Whiteys, they're like lost. Where's Frank Morano, our guru, to give us instructions? By the way, where is Frank Morano? He's out there. Where in the world is Frank Morano? Let's see if we can get his number one sickle fan, Tody and Lackey, in here, Alex. His producer, who has his schnoz right up, Frank Stuckus. Uh, so you had an opportunity, what, two hours to uh, actually do your research here. So do you know yet, Alex, if uh, your homeboy Frank is even intending on coming back anytime soon, huh?
4: Curtis, I believe I have been, as the kids would say, left on red. You know, I, I send him a message at, at around 1.15, and one minute later, it said underneath that message, "Red, 1.16 a.m." It is now three ten, and I have
3: not heard a word since. Is that a passage out of the Bible? Red? What was that? Left on? Left on red? Yes. Well, well, you know, kids say, "Put them on blast," not left on red. What the hell are you talking about? No, that's the thing. When you when you when you
4: leave, when you can see that somebody has read your message and then they don't reply.
3: No, no, no. Better red than dead, right? That's what was said during the Cold War era when people were feeling that they would be incinerated because an atomic bomb would be dropped on their head by Nikita Khrushchev. I will bury you. People who were afraid in fear and fright and hysteria like you, Alex, would say, be- better to be red than dead. And I would look at them and said, I'd rather be dead than red." The baby boomers know what I'm talking about. You know something, Alex? Could I tell you seriously? After this malperformance tonight, this ultimate act of incompetency, you should go off into your works stall soil yourself. Did you ever just soil yourself? Not since I was like five years old. <laughs> <laughs> you know you laugh, but this was before your time. You know Dr. Spock was? And I'm not talking about from Star Trek. I actually do know who Dr. Spock was. Oh, this is good. Yeah, I have heard of Dr. Spock. Uh, Dr. Spock, do you know what conclusion he came to? That young males with uh, nubile, supple minds like yourself, much minds, the reason you are the way you are is because you weren't properly trained on the porcelain palace. The, that, in fact, Dr. Spock's conclusion is that all problems involving males, uh, their uh, impotency, their aggression, their lack of self-esteem, their rage, all comes from the fact that they had problems on the Porcelain Palace. Did you know that? No, but that sounds a little weird to me. I'm not going to lie. That's of course it was weird. Yeah. But I, gotta, I don't buy it. I got to tell you, legions of people bought the book and they believed in that and said, My son is a malcontent. My son has had a psychotic disorder because when he was very young, I did not properly potty train him. Not women, I might add. No, they were exempted from this. If you had XX chromosomes, Dr. Spock had no interest in you. He was only interested in young men, and I'm beginning to think that he showed traits of wanting to join the North American Man-Boy Love Association. I won't go any further. Who knows? I'm just saying a bit weird that a grown man would be focused on a young boy sitting on the turret and watching uh, how he performed and then extrapolating from their conclusions about insanity, madness, ineptness incontinency and impotency. Of all the things you've talked about tonight, Curtis, that's by far the most bizarre. Bizarre, you say, or bizarro? I find it very odd that I am sitting here as much as I love to talk on the radio and eat up the real estate of Frank Morano, and that you have no idea where the hell he is. You know, maybe I could do, like, a find
4: my iPhone or something like that, you know, like, track his location. But uh, that would be some real uh, tricknology, as you like to say.
3: You know what? Uh, don't ever use my terminology because you are McWhitey Whitey. You have no right to transgress my language. So why don't you want to do something for me? Get the hell out of here. Because I'm doing the racket report. I have to do this because Frank Murano has decided... He might or might not come back in typical hipster millennial form. You know, it's like he's sitting there in a field with a, uh, a petunia and he's picking. Should I? Should I not go back? Should I? Like Hamlet on the Hudson, scratching his left hookus, then his right hookus and wondering if he has a Dr. Spock moment. Well, hopefully, uh, Matt Blaze, you've gotten your act together because, boy, you really caused me to have a meltdown, and now I have to, according to orders from headquarters, Frank Morano, in parts unknown, do the racket report. So let's uh, let's begin the process. The racket report is the podcast done by the Mama Luke Frank Morano. This is where he feels his oats. This is where he sheds that Mamaluke status. And he's one of the boys. Yeah, one of the boys. And a affiliated member of the Gambino crime family in his own mind. You should see how he's dressed on the racket report. He's got the striped suit, the gladiator suit, he's puffed out his chest, he's got the cigar, the cohiba breaking every rule and regulation. Not the Monte Cristo, I might add. The Cohiba. So, uh, Frank Morano had an opportunity to get bamboozled and interview the man who was responsible for the demise of his hero, John Gotti Sr. Former prosecutor for the Eastern District, all Irish all the time, Gleason, who then was elevated into a federal judge, of which he remains today. In fact, Avery, let me tell you a very salient point of the trial, the first trial against John Gotti Sr. in which the prosecutor from the U.S. Attorney's Office from the Eastern District, Gleason, went down in flames. It was St. Patrick's Day. You could imagine the garb that Gleason was wearing when he began his cross-examination of one of the defenders of John Gotti Sr., he was wearing a green tie and a green shamrock. And John Getty Sr., who had been housed in the bowels of the federal penitentiary, he was denied bail. By the way, he was given a AM radio mat Blaze, and guess what he was listening to in the morning? Angels in the morning. And Curtis Lee were railing against him, and he was dropping the F-bomb and saying, I will get this guy. Man, I can't wait. Till he draws his last breath, as he would call up his underboss of the Gambino crime family in his absence, John Gotti Jr., and say, kill Sliwa! And his son would go, yeah, 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 I don't want to hear that guy again. Done. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this interview that Frank Marano had With a man who has taken all responsibility for sending John Gotti Sr. away after he had beat the feds, beaten every rap in the same federal court the first time. And then Tom got found guilty because of the testimony of his underbore, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who ate the parmesan cheese and the clear, concise, clean Memorex tapes. They were taken above the Ravenite Social Club in the home of a Sicilian grandmother, a widow, who would conveniently leave when it was time for Gotti Sr. and Gravano to have a sit-down. Do you know what the Ravenite Social Club is today? It's a transgender dress shop. So appropriate to my enemies there. But I digress. Let's listen to... Now, federal Judge Gleason describe at one time how many divisions of the FBI were assigned to Italian organized crime and how it exists
7: now.
2: How essential was Sammy to getting a conviction? And could you have gotten a conviction without Sammy?
7: In December of 1990, we indict Gotti Gravano Lucasio and I spend the next 11 months getting ready for a trial in which our evidence is John Gotti on tape, talking about who he's killed, who he's going to kill, the labor racketeering, the obstruction of justice. It was a shallow case because it really wasn't any witnesses, Um, but it was a really good case because I was going to tell the jury, listen, here he is committing the crimes we charged him with. And then really literally 10 weeks before trial, Gravano reaches out to me surreptitiously, and we meet and strike a deal. And all of a sudden, we have a case that's gone from a shallow, strong, recorded evidence case to the highest-ranking mafia turncoat in history.
3: In typical Mad plays form, an act of sabotage. After hours and hours of laborious work because they had been ordered to do the racket report. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do this. I was forced to do this. So what did Matt Blaze do? He discombobulated the, the format so that if we move forward, you would have no idea what the hell this guy was talking about. A clear act of sabotage. Matt Blaze, I'm telling you, what were you blazing away on before the program began? Can you tell us? Because that had to be really good stuff. Come on, share it with the audience. Man, you're blitzed. Now, let's go back and I'll give you the numbers. Maybe you can follow the numbers. Wow. This is like special ed for Mob Talk. Oh, I only wish that I had... Billy, that's right, Billy Broadway. Billy, man, an iconic figure at uh, WCBS FM, who had retired and gone down to his retirement uh, home in Fort Myers, and was playing shuffleboard with my former sports guy for Curtis and Kuby in the morning, Warner Wolf. Canadians were attempting to uh, take over Fort Myers because they were better shuffleboard players than Warner Wolf. And Broadway Bill Lee, but Bill Lee understood that I was in dire distress having to deal with the likes of the Matt Blazes here at WABC. Thank you, Broadway Bill Lee. You are entitled to a day off. Now let me tell you something. You're going to work until the day you die at this rate. So if we can, my show, let's see if you can connect the dots. This is like a kid, you know, when you got your cartoon book, you know, you. And you had to connect the dots with the number two pencil. So here it was, the former prosecutor from the Eastern District, man who took out John Gotti Sr. and many members of organized crime, John Gleason, discussing how extensive FBI involvement was at the height of organized crime Italian activity and what it's like now.
7: So, you know, one way to look at it, Frank, is back then there were eight, FBI squads in New York, all of them devoted exclusively to LCN. Today, there's one half of one squad devoted to LCN.
3: That's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, When uh, the Gattis and the Gambinos were trying to whack me, that was in uh, the summer of 1992. There were four units at that time, down from eight at the height. Because obviously uh, what you're going to hear next occurred before John Gotti Sr. decided, you know something? I've whacked enough uh, mobsters choking on their lobsters in my lifetime. Let me get that guy in the red beret and the red sateen jacket with the big mouth on WABC. Well, here it was when he uh, decided to put together that hit team outside of Sparks and kill Paul Castellano and his bodyguard. There was somebody who wanted revenge on him because he had not gone to the commission.
7: Chin Gigante, the head of the Genovese family, tried to kill him several times, right? Four months after they killed John Gotti, for your listeners' edification, blasted onto the scene as boss of the Gambino family by killing his boss in public on a Spark Steakhouse, December 16th, 1985 without having gotten the permission of the commission to kill the boss. Chin never forgave him for that. Four months later, when they blew up Frankie DeChico, they thought John Gotti was going to be with him. And then in 1988, several Genovese family members were were arrested and prosecuted and convicted for conspiring to kill John Gotti.
3: You know why... John Gatti Sr. was not in the Chico's Cadillac where Giganti had ordered his Genovese uh, button men to attach a bomb to blow them to kingdom come. He was too busy banging some floozy upstairs from the restaurant and hadn't finished yet. Damn! (sighs) I could have been blown to kingdom come. You think you would learn that on the Frank Marano show? Of course not. Frank protects everything, Gotti, everything Gambino, including the one that he was hot to try on. Oh, yeah, one day I'll tell you. Long before he met Rachel, the oldest daughter of John Gotti Sr. and Victoria Sr., Angel, boy, she was sugar to him, man. And he didn't care if he was a diabetic. He couldn't get enough of that sweet stuff, Angel Gotti. But I digress here. Now, there was the seven-month trial. Remember, this was the first prosecution by the Eastern District. With all the might, all the muscle, and all the assistant district attorneys and investigators that the U.S. could amass against Gotti Sr. and the Gambino crime family, he describes, Gleason, how long this trial took and how many witnesses were involved.
7: In six weeks, I was assigned to what became, once they killed Paul a few months later, what became, as you mentioned, the, the, the biggest case in the country. And it was criminal stuff, it was fascinating. It ended up being a seven-month trial. The lead prosecutor was a truly gifted prosecutor named Diane Jacalone, and she uh, took me under her wing, taught me how to prosecute, how to try a case, We had 96 witnesses. I basically grew up as a trial lawyer in one case, Frank. You know, most lawyers need to do five, six, seven, eight trials before they're comfortable. But, you know, when you're on trial for seven months, you kind of cram all that into one case. It was a – professionally for me, it was a disaster the way it ended, but it was a building block of the rest of my career in the law.
3: Oh, disaster the way it ended. You're damn right. They were innocent on every charge. They walked free. They have freaking 96 witnesses. What What the hell was that? You think Frank asked them that? Like, What kind of a schmuck would have 96 witnesses? Each time you have a witness on the witness stand, the likelihood is the defense attorneys are going to shoot holes through their testimony. You can tell this guy Gleason was a new jack. You are hearing excerpts of the Rocket Report, exclusive to the Frank Morano Show. To hear this in its full body, and with a Frank Morano prejudice attached to it, that leans in the direction of his friends, the Gatties and Gambinos, the ones who try to kill me. I'm giving it to you straight without all the editorial content that comes with it, you can go to wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com to get the Racket Report. But then he tells a very interesting story. I give props to Frank Morano for extricating this story from Gleason, who was very controlled in what information he wanted to disseminate. He talked about a witness named Matt Trainer doesn't sound like an italian to me.
7: Yeah, we had a, it's a fellow named Matt Trainer who in the run up to the trial was going to be our witness, but he made a demand and acted he demanded that uh he I forget what the favor was, a visit in prison or some sneakers or something. And when we said no, he said, "Well, I'm going to tell the defense lawyers you asked us to lie." And we said, fine, you're off our witness list. We pulled him out of our witness lineup. A year and a half later, he shows up on the witness stand as a defense witness for John Gotti, testifies that I and my wife, who was a psychiatric nurse, that I and my wife gave him narcotic drugs in an effort to get him to testify falsely against John Gotti, which seemed kind of harsh. Seemed kind of rough to listen to that testimony, but I, I got off kind of easy because then he turned his parrots on to Diane Jackalone, the lead prosecutor, and said she gave him sexual favors and drugs. Right? For, uh, I'm the I'm the one who gave the drugs. I see. Okay, got it, got, it, got it. Diane gave the sexual favors, so we had it covered between the two of us. <laughs> and and uh, look, I crossed him for a couple of days, and it was brutal. It was brutal on on Diane especially. The defense lawyers were brutal on her. And, and the payback for us was supposed to be, at the end of the case, a conviction, which would have made it all worthwhile. But, spoiler alert, all of the defendants, including were acquitted on all counts, and it was a monumental loss for the government.
3: Wow. Now that was worth the time spent listening to the racket report, boy, that was really good stuff. You would not find that information out anywhere. And then finally, Gleason had to acknowledge uh, to Frank Morano: "It's like the wide world of sports. The thrill of victory was not there; it was the agony of defeat as he he and his team crashed and burned against uh, Team John Gotti Senior. That that first trial that they had." Fix
2: the jury. There's always been a lot of claims that the jury, at least to some extent, was was fixed in that trial. Um, you know, I've spoken with John Gotti Jr. about that case. He insists that he doesn't believe that it was fixed. John's not an unbiased source. What's your take? Was the jury in that case fixed?
7: Well, yeah, and I don't—I mean, I don't know how you can hide from that fact. Jr. can speak for himself, but here's the deal. Here's what— Your listeners should know. Four and three quarters years later, three months before the statute of limitations on obstruction of justice would run, Sammy Gravano flipped. I met him in the middle of the night and I was debriefing him about all the murders he had committed. And in the middle of that debriefing, we took a little break, and he said to me as casually, Frank, as you might say to somebody, I got a parking ticket last week. He says, you know, by the way, that trial you had where John was acquitted, I," and I that got my attention, obviously. That was two years of my life, that case. And we investigated it, made the case, indicted the juror, prosecuted the juror. I testified against the juror. Gravano did. The juror was convicted and did three years. So you might want to just uh, tell Junior to Google all that and Google the name George Pape. He was the anonymous juror who uh, took a bribe to throw that first trial.
3: I'm sure Frank will be doing that with his very dear friend John Gotti, Jr. at WoHop soon in Chinatown. That's where they frequent WoHop. All during the trial. They'd always go to Wohop, and they'd tell all the waiters there, you know, if Sliwa comes in, give them a hard time, and they did. And, you know, my retaliation against all these waiters who are speaking Cantonese, not Mandarin, Cantonese, I said, give me a bowl of chop suey. They look at me like, what the hell is chop suey? I said, let me tell you something. You should take those chopsticks and impale
0: yourself. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
7: I have but one heart.
0: This heart I bring you.
3: By the way, ladies and gentlemen, having been at the wedding of Frank Marano and Rachel out on Staten Island, having been forced to sit next to the Gadis and Gambinos, the same people who tried to whack me, kidnap me, and eventually incinerate me so that you couldn't even determine what my DNA was, he actually had to simulate the Godfather. He had a Johnny Fontaine come up there who was an Al Martino lookalike who, as you know, in the Godfather uh, scheme of things was supposed to be Frank Sinatra who was desperate to get the part that eventually the Godfather was able to procure for him with his peacetime consigliere that he dispatched to the West Coast and found him... With Shirley Temple, remember? And then put a horse's head in his bed. Well, that didn't happen with the Frank Morano um, wedding. But, oh, man. Did he screw me over, Frank? I thought I should have been the best man, right? Look, Frank was my intern and my producer. He admits that I fought for him to have his own show, right? He had Who did he have as his best man? This, this Eric Adams Republican, Joe Borelli. Ma But it wasn't to be. It was not to be. And by the way, uh, let me tell you something. The Gaddis, especially John Gotti Jr., who is a real welcher when he would make bets, unlike his father. You know, he put nothing in Rachel's booster bag. Nothing. He gave her some coupons to McDonald's. Coupons? For happy meals at McDonald's. And you know what Frank Morano said? Oh, it's such a good gift, John. Me and Rachel talk about it to this day. But let's get back on track, this is the Racket Report. It actually was an outstanding interview. I gotta give credit where credit is due. That's one thing that Frank Morano has excelled in is interviewing people who specifically have been involved either in prosecuting knuckle-draggers, members of organized crime. The organized criminals themselves, sometimes confidential informers, those who are in the witness protection program. Or those like me who grew up with them and dedicated every moment of the day to destroying them, by all means necessary. So let's pick up at trial number two. The federal government had struck out swinging against John Gotti, Senior and all of his sycophants, toadies and lackeys because they fixed the jury. Thank you, Sammy the Bull You think John Gotti Senior thanked him? Of course not. Now, his Frank talking with uh, Prosecutor Gleason as they went into a second trial where it appeared that John Gotti Senior was invincible. 58. What
2: about your mentality as the lead prosecutor in that case, going into that case, seeing those previous acquittals?
7: Yeah, again, a great question. You look at it, it was not just the, the acquittal in our case that he had fixed, but there were two state assault cases that he beat. So he really had acquired this aura of invincibility. We firmly believed before we brought that case in which we convicted him, we firmly believe that law enforcement really had one more shot, that if we took another shot at him and and he beat the case, he was never gonna get convicted. It was just gonna cement him as invincible. So that influenced the way we approached the investigation. We decided we're not just gonna rely on some low-level accomplice witnesses, like in the first case. We wanted his voice on tape, and this is where the FBI, you know, has, just has no equal. They were patient. They worked their informants. They learned that John was meeting with his underboss, Gravano, his consigliere, Frank Locasio, in a old lady's apartment above the Ravenite Social Club, 247 Mulberry Street. They got a bug in that place, and we had the best possible evidence. So... You know, we – another thing we learned from the first case, not going to have seven, eight guys at the defense table. We could have indicted the entire family, but we indicted just Gravano, Gotti, Frank Locascio. I wanted to get in and get out. No 7 months trials, no low-level accomplices, a quick in-out trial with John Gotti's voice convicting him. So that was all the the result of him having acquired that reputation as the Teflon Don.
3: Outstanding question and answer. Boy, Frank is, uh, really does a stellar job as a questioner. He really comforts those people that he talks to, whether he's befriended them or their enemies. They're very they're in a comfort zone. There's no doubt he's the best interviewer here at WABC. And I have suggested to John Katsimatidis, our owner and operator, a great talk show host in his own right, that... You know, maybe uh, we should try to bump Anderson Cooper, who does those um, interviews on 60 Minutes from time to time, although he is uh, he is uh, obviously wed to CNN, and get Frank Morano a try. He, he, to me, he's a much better interviewer than uh, than any of those that I've seen in the business. I Look, as you know, I, very difficult for me to say that, but he is the best in the business. And he continued on because he was able to get... The prosecutor, Gleason, now the federal judge, to talk about the problem of what I call idolatry and turning people like Gotti into heroes.
2: How did you feel? I'm sure you were aware of the reputation in some corners of the city that John Gotti had acquired at this point. It, you would go to Ozone Park and Howard Beach, and not all residents, but many of these residents would would cheer at the mention of John Gotti's name. There were people who would even show up to the courthouse holding signs, wearing T-shirts that say things like, Free John Gotti. There were bumper stickers in places like Staten Island, where I grew up, where you'd see the same men- Method. And even a lot of people that weren't necessarily Italian-American, a lot of them came to view Gotti as almost this Robin Hood-like figure who was fighting against the oppressive federal government, and he became a symbol in some respects of standing up to the federal government. How did it make you feel seeing someone that you have such a low regard for as a criminal and a person acquiring a reputation, at least in some quarters, as this larger-than-life Robin Hood-esque figure?
3: Oh, brilliant. Great summation by Frank. He put everything into perspective. He painted pictures of what it was really like. Now, remember, Frank was a bit limited. He was in Staten Island, but I saw exactly what he said in a lot of neighborhoods that I frequented. And yes, as he mentioned, even non-Italians like Sid Rosenberg, our colleague who always wanted to be Italian instead of Jewish, who has just published his book, Citizens United, with Johnny Russo. Johnny Russo from The Godfather? You realize the kind of Viggy's going to want from Sid? By the way, steal this book, please. Look, you don't think the Gotties would have stole this book? They used to steal bundles of the Daily News and the Post when they'd be delivered if Gotti was on the front page, right? Hey, steal it. You think they paid for it? Oh, so Sid, you want to be Italian? You want to be like a wise guy? You're in Gemini Lounge, this this motion picture you've been in Gravesend? Okay, steal his book. Make him feel like he is an object of desire by organized crime. Sorry, <sighs> <sighs> I had to go on that rant. I'm being told I have to do this like once an hour. This is going to drive me crazy. Anyway, let's get back on track. A absolutely outstanding interview so far. Look, I'm uh, interested, and I am probably Frank Morano's worst critic. And it elicited from the prosecutor Gleason the statement that I wanted to hear that normally prosecutors and judges never say because they try to keep
7: things so close uh, without revealing what the reality is. You know, wringing our hands and gnashing our teeth. We just, look, what you've described is completely accurate, and it's just another manifestation of the fact that as a culture, we belong on a therapist's couch when it comes to organized crime generally and especially the mob, right? We see, look, the Godfather's part of it. You know, Art didn't do a great job of imitating life, but we see in the mob what we want to see, right? We superimpose on the mob these this kind of gauzy, you know, uh, affection. I think this goes back to Jesse James. You know, you mentioned Robin Hood, Bonnie and Clyde. We like outlaws. And what we would see, you know, between the two trials, at exactly the same time, everybody out there in those neighborhoods was saying John Gardy's cleaning up the streets from dr- of drugs, we were—his brother, all the members of his crew, Gene Gotti, John Coniglio, Tony Roach-Rampino, we put them all away for for the rest of their lives, essentially, for heroin trafficking. So even as that is unfolding in front of everybody's eyes, they see John Gotti as cleaning up the street.
3: Brilliant summation. That, that was Gleason at his best. But then again— He goes from the height of being uh, so accurate, so cogent, to basically lying. He then says he's got this case. Sammy the Bull Gravano is offering to become a cooperating witness. They're negotiating. And then he tells Frank that he didn't need the testimony of Sammy the Bull Gravano
7: in this trial. You don't need Gravano. Gravano's real significance was he helped us take down the rest of the mob. I said, you don't need him. We, he, he was at the defense table until 10 weeks ago. We were going to convict all three based on the recordings. Then he flipped. So now you have the insider's view, the underboss's view. And what I said to him is basically you've got two bodies of evidence here. You've got the insider's testimony against his boss on which you convict, can convict standing alone. And then put that aside. You have tapes on which you can convict standing alone. You put them together; it's suffocating. That's the word I use for the jury.
3: Well, that's that's bull feathers, Gleason. You convicted John Gotti Sr. because Sammy the Bull Gravano was not only so convincing, cool, calm, and collected on the witness stand, but he connected all the dots. The memorex tapes weren't going to do it. I mean, he had the best defense attorneys that not only money could buy, but that he could threaten so that they would make sure they did their very best job. Oh, I tell you that those attorneys were terrified of John Gotti Sr. There was a time that he was with his preferred mouthpiece, Bruce Cutler, who was like a little Mussolini. They thought he was a master in the courtroom. It turned out he won so many cases for John Gotti Sr. because the juries were fixed by Sammy the Bull Gravano. Nobody knew it at that time. They were having a meeting on the eighth floor of a building, and John Gotti Sr. turned to Bruce Cutler and said, if you don't do exactly what I say, I'm throwing you down this elevator shaft eight floors down. And there's nothing you or anybody else are going to do to prevent it or arrest me or convict me. Do you understand, Bruce? And Bruce said, yeah, boss. Yeah, boss. I get it. I get it. Big, rough, and tough Bruce Cutler, right? Like a tough guy. Was a wuss in front of John Gotti Sr. So I didn't believe Gleason there at all. That's nonsense. And then Frank naturally bore in on him. This is a a good technique of a great interviewer because he realized that Gleason was lying to him. And then he said, you're going to add insult to injury? Look how easy you made it for Gravano.
2: Is it moral? Is it ethical? Is it right that Sammy just essentially got two and a half years in prison for participating in 19 murders, given the fact that his testimony might not have been needed to convict John Gotti in the first place? Brilliant. Brilliant.
3: I can see it's sort of like uh, you're in the middle of the ring, and all of a sudden you're surrounding your opponent and you're boxing him in, and you're not giving him much room to move. See, Gleason made a tactical error with Frank by claiming, well, we didn't need Gravano. Your whole case was based on Gravano. But you see, he's an attorney. He's a federal judge. He figures we're just a bunch of simpletons. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong, Gleason. And then all of a sudden, Gleason, well, I think he realized that Frank had gotten
7: the best of him. Sure, it was right. And I'm the first to admit this is a completely legit debate. You know, do we reward people who commit very serious crimes? Should we reward them at all? Do we reward them too much? That's a really interesting debate, and a lot of countries don't reward cooperation like we do. But let me tell you one thing, Frank, that is almost never on the table. You know, Gravano got five years. He admitted to 19 murders. But what's almost never on the table when this debate happens is, you know, Gravano helped us put away 47 guys. Not all of them were murderers, but most of them were. And most of them not only committed the same number of murders, you know, we didn't know for sure because they didn't flip, as Gravano. But if Gravano didn't help us put those guys in prison and take them off the street, is there any doubt in my mind that many, many more murders would have happened? You know, those guys weren't going to stop killing people.
3: Wow, Avery. You know, even though I'm uh, very angry that Frank uh, Marano, his loyalties were to the Gotti's, Gotti Jr., and especially his sweetheart, Angel, in this debate with Gleason, Frank got him. Uh, look, it wasn't the Lincoln Douglas debate, but he beat the federal prosecutor, he beat the federal judge.
0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
3: So in this debate, and you can get it in podcast form, the full podcast, the Racket Report, and I, I do advise I've listened to quite a few of them. Uh, Frank Morano is as good as he gets in doing interviews. He's smooth. Whether he's a friend or a foe, he brings out the information. But in this case, Judge Gleason, a.k.a. the federal prosecutor who put John Gotti Sr. away, triple life without parole in the second trial. Yes, Gleason, because of Sammy the Bull Gravano's testimony, not because of your good work or the Memorex tapes. Wow, that is the height of hubris. Oh, it wasn't Sammy the Bull. We really didn't need him. Really? Oh, the bull feathers are going to be flying here. You may want to get your uh, hip-hugging boots because there's going to be a lot to shovel. So listen to this question, and when I heard his answer, I said, Frank Morano got him. He didn't win on points. He knocked him out. Frank Morano asked, the prosecutor at that time, lead prosecutor, U.S., Eastern District, in the second case against John Gotti, Sr. How far up the chain did you have to go to get permission to make a deal with the underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano, the cooperating witness who was eating the Parmesan cheese?
2: How high up the chain of the Justice Department did you have to go to get approval for a deal like that? Did the attorney general himself, Bill Barr okay, and approve this deal? No, I didn't even go to my boss. It was, it was so secret.
7: What? And he expects us to believe that?
3: Now, remember, this, the same Bill Barr that Trump had to spar with at the end of his presidency when he came back to be attorney general. You hear what he told Frank Morano, who completely then dismissed him. Gleason so filled with his own self-importance, said he didn't have to go to the Attorney General of the United States or his boss of the Organized Crime Bureau to tell them the deal that he had made with Sammy the Bull Gravano, the biggest deal ever made in the history of the Department of Justice. Does he expect us to believe that? I want to hear that again. Frank was so good in luring him into that trap. You know, he lured him into the trap because he knew that like most prosecutors and I've dealt with them. when they told me, Curtis, we don't represent you. We represent the government. Hey, what about me? You know, the guys, they try to kidnap me and kill me. Uh, uh-huh. Before that hit me with baseball bats, you know, rearrange my medulla and cerebellum. Curtis, we're the U.S. government. We represent the government. You're just collateral damage. Oh, <laughs> collateral damage, huh? And then they tried to impose a gag order on me. The U.S. government. We don't want him on WABC talking about how inept we are, how egomaniacal we are. We want, we want to gag him. Yeah, over my dead body. I would have gone to jail. Thankfully, the federal judge ruled on my behalf. My First Amendment rights. Can you imagine how boring it would have been all through that four Gotti trials when I was on with friend of the Gottis? It wasn't just Frank Morano, but Ron Kuby, whose mommy was a commie. How boring it would have been for us not even to be able to mention it. But the hubris, the
2: chutzpah, I want you to hear again what Gleason said. How high up the chain of the Justice Department did you have to go to get approval for a deal like that? Did the attorney general himself, Bill Barr, okay and approve this deal? No, I didn't even go to my
7: boss. It was, it was so secret.
3: It was so secret. I didn't even go to my boss or the attorney general. But where did you get all the freaking money to pay off Gravano to house him? How did he get the money for the facelift? I got to give credit. He lured him in. He built him. You notice how Frank Morano kept building him up, building up his ego. Gleason said, wow, he's not coming at me. He's a friend of the goddies. And how often Gleason would say to him, oh, what a brilliant question. What a great quote! What a setup there. Man. And then Frank Morano delivered what had to be delivered because Can you believe this? The guy said, A, he didn't need Sammy the Bull Gravano, his testimony to convict John Gotti Sr. that he already had a slam dump due to the Memorex takes. Bull feathers, bull feathers. And then said he didn't even have to go to the attorney general or the boss, his boss of the Organized Crime Bureau to get permission to spend the money to house Gravano, to transport him and make a deal with Satan, the devil himself. Whew. Did I praise Frank Marano there? Hopefully you can get rid of this uh, because you know he's going to exploit this. He'll be playing this ad nauseum upon his return. Whenever he decides to return... Maquanamai, who knows when, he's on this perpetual vacation. Let me warn you, wherever you are, Frank Morano, you don't come back, I'm just going to keep eating up the real estate. Because I don't believe in vacations. We understand that you are in the Greek islands and you are on a yacht. And you know what yacht he said it was with his... Eric Adams' Republican friend, Joe Borelli, he said it was the Ernie Anastos yacht. What, of Channel 5? It's Onassis, you schmuck and putz. You see, I take away and I give it all within the same breath. Up next, maybe the most humiliating moment of the seven months of Eric Adams, the swagger man as mayor, with no plan.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything
4: free in America. For a small fee in America.
3: Wow. You couldn't have a song like that now. All the snowflakes out there would melt. Would probably be uh, left on the cutting room floor by the cancel culture. This is the classic musical rendition. Stage show in the movie. The original West Side Story. Leonard Bernstein conducting. The words, I think, were a Sondheim production. I'm not quite sure of that. I just know I love that movie. Especially Natalie Wood. I think uh, all American men fell in love with Natalie Wood. But instinctively, we said years later, the over-under point spread was, who killed Natalie Wood on that yacht off Catalina Island? When in the bowels of the yacht. There was her husband, Robert Wagner, arguing with uh, the maniac himself. Oh, boy. What the hell was he doing on board? Chris. Mad Dog Chris from Astoria. Wow. Anyway, unfortunately, Natalie Wood perished. She was the sweetheart for every rock-ribbed, all-American males who understood that they were XY as opposed to XX, and they didn't have have problems identifying with 72 different gender identifications. But the reason I bring this up, and before I mention that... uh, A word to all of those out there who may know where Frank Morano is. Because he's not here where he needs to be. Come home, Frank. Come home from your extended vacation. I think it was off of Greece with your very dear friend, uh, the Eric Adams Republican, Joe Borelli. The guy you chose as your uh, best man at your wedding. You didn't choose me. No, no, didn't choose me. It's okay. It's all right. But for some strange reason, you decided not to return and take a second vacation. Maybe working on a third, but uh, let me put a word out to every talk show host and hostess in America. You take extra time. You maybe manipulate uh, maternity time. Curtis Sliwa will be at the ready to eat up your real estate, too, because I love it. There's nothing better than talk radio. I can talk and talk and talk and talk because this is a gift to us. In this case, John Katsimatidis and his wife, Margot Katsimatidis, owner and operators of the flagship station of the Frank Morano Network on the other side of midnight. That's right, I said WABC. I don't want to hear that, Alex Brown. Oh, you shouldn't mention it because it might offend the affiliates. Why? Why wouldn't they want to be attached the mothership connection, right? Who the hell came up with that nonsense? You could tell they don't know anything about radio. So I defy all when it doesn't make sense. And in this case, I really want to offer assistance to the man who beat me for the mayoralty of the city of New York back on November 3rd. In the general election, I ran as the Republican independent candidate. He ran as a Democrat. Eric Adams, the swagger man who, after seven months, does not have a plan almost about anything. But he has been sucked into this vortex. I I think uh, Governor Abbott in Texas understood that Eric Adams' Achilles heel is that he always wants to go live at 5. He always wants to have a press conference. He... It's always looking for the photo app. Interesting when Governor Abbott of Texas asked he and the mayor, Madam Mayor of Washington D.C., to come down to the border in Texas and see for themselves the chaos, the crisis. They said no a thousand times. No, let's face it, they didn't want to offend the Papachulo of the border, Joe Biden, who was like standing on the border say, "Who's your daddy, illegals? Who's your daddy?" So Abbott, who has been up to his neck in having to spend tax dollars of Texans to try to stem the flow of the invasion, finally decided, oh, you want to call yourself a sanctuary city, but share the illegals. I've been putting them on buses to go to Washington, D.C., because I really wanted a statement to be made. To uh, President Joe Biden and his uh, giggling vice president, who was appointed to Tsarina, who was supposed to be in charge of border affairs, but doesn't want to go there, Vice President Harris. I just wanted to send as many illegals as I could, have them pound the hound, go on the greyhound to Washington, D.C. But who jumped in a week ago? Well, of course, live at five, photo op Eric Adams, who decried what Abbott was doing. Even though only one bus had been sent to New York City, right? One bus! We have a million illegal aliens here in New York City, if you haven't seen. And he was saying, oh, our social service systems are overwhelmed. Our shelters are overwhelmed. Please spare us all. Saying, I'm going to have to put them up in hotels. I'm going to have to feed them and clothe them and give them snap cards and Medicaid and... Have them Uber from place to place. Oh, my God. He was playing the violin at one of his many press conferences around this. And people were saying, hey, Schmack, hey, Putz, you're a sanctuary city. Isn't this what sanctuary cities do? Nobody's blaming Eric Adams. We've been a sanctuary city going back to Ed Koch. Ed Koch had it as a sanctuary city. Believe it or not, Michael Mbaricic, Rudy Giuliani presided over a sanctuary city. Michael Bloomberg. Bill de Blasio, and now Eric Adams, in a sanctuary state presided over by Democratic governor, governors for quite some time, including for 12 years, Republican Governor George Pataki. We are sanctuary 24 7, along with New Jersey. You know, El Jefe, Chamu, Chris Christie will say, Oh, bad illegals. You know something? When he was governor, what was New Jersey? Sanctuary state. Under Corzine, Chipmunk, Sanctuary. Under Half in the Bag, Murphy, (gasps) Sanctuary. Under McGrady, Sanctuary. And Ras Baraka in Newark, the crime capital of New Jersey, Sanctuary. So if you happen to be an illegal crossing the border, and obviously they all have cell phones, have you seen the illegals come across? I've been in third world countries. People may not have two pesos to rub together. You know, the one thing they have cell phones, some of them satellite phones. So they have the GPS, and the GPS is so sophisticated. All you got to do is program in what are the sanctuary cities and sanctuary states, almost all of them are north of the Mason-Dixon line, democratic states, democratic cities, and, of course, where do you want to go? Do you want to stay in a hostile state, or do you want to stay in a state that smothers you with love and attention led by the Archdiocese of the Roman Catholic faith, who can't do enough for you, so you'll come into the pews, they are empty pews on Sundays, and fill the churches to the rafters. Because if you ever been to a Sunday sermon in a Catholic church, let's say the English-speaking uh, audience, there's like maybe five widows and two men who know that they'll be dying soon and they got to make amends with Jesus Christ. Seven people! But always the guys who have the wicker baskets, you know, they're always there. Well, we have a collection for the church fund. We have a collection now for the school fund. We have a a collection for the bishop fund. We have the cardinal's collection. And without using the terminology, we have a collection for the poor, the impoverished, the indigent. Father, do you mean the illegal aliens? That's not the terminology we're using. Five collections within the course of... One Sunday service, and there are only seven congregants there. Meantime, the Spanish-speaking Mass, we'll have to rent out additional space. In fact, maybe we'll have to have it in the gymnasium of St. John's University. That's why the Catholic Church is so immigrant-friendly. Ah, oh, come on. I deal with immigrants, illegals in Italy. I have seven guardian angel chapters there because they have illegal aliens there, mostly from North Africa. And, you know... Have any of them been accepted when they knock on the door of the Vatican, which is an independent state and country in Rome? Of course not. They shoot away, they're saying, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. You can't apply here. Swiss guard, chase them away. With all the Catholic Church riches and wealth, the sanctimonious hypocrites down to him. So what happened? Eric Adams got sucked in to the meanest fly trap of Governor Abbott. And Governor Abbott didn't have to try that hard. He had a few press conferences. He said, hey, uh, come on, you got to accept your fair share, right? You can't say not in my backyard. And all of a sudden, Eric Adams said, he's getting the best of me. So it was uh, 7 o'clock Sunday morning outside of the Port Authority. You know, with all the emotionally disturbed, the homeless people there, the drug addicts, the dope dealers, the pimps, the prostitutes, all the mishigosh, all the flotsam and jetsam. And here was the bus they had tracked it all the way from Austin, Texas, the state capital, where the illegal aliens were told, would you like to go to New York? Because there were other buses that were going to Washington. And 40 of them said, yeah, Nueva York. Yeah, yeah, I want to go to New York. Apparently on the way to New York, some of them had second thoughts because according to the bus driver, I said, Mr. Bus Driver, uh, we've been watching on Telemundo and Univision in Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador that it's not safe in New York City. It's safer in Tijuana. It's safer in Juarez. It's safer in Mexico City. Could you please let us off here? So on his way to the Port Authority, they stopped in Paramus, New Jersey, which is the epicenter of a lot of illegal aliens. Because, you know, all those cartoon characters that you see shaking you down for money in Times Square next to the naked cowboy? No, he's legal. The rest of them are illegal, you know, with the cartoon uh, outfits, superheroes. You know, what are they, uh, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse? They're all illegals. They're all from Central America and Mexico. And they come in and they shake down everybody coming in and they go back to Paramus every day at the Port Authority. You see them coming and going on the New Jersey bus system to Paramus. So some of them stopped there and said, wow, we know we can get some work there. All we got to do is put on a uniform of a cartoon character. I'll be a Smurf. I'll be Mickey. I'll be Minnie. I'll be one of the... uh, the turtles. Oh, yeah. Want to be a turtle. Please, please. Oh, my God. So, like, there, half the bus got off right there in Paramus. And then a few others said, You know, I've had second thoughts. I really don't want to go into the crime capital, the fear city, the epicenter. Drop me off in Hackensack. Bus driver said, You sure? Yeah, yeah, please drop us off in Hackensack. So the bus pulls into the Port Authority. There is a... Uh, Mayor Adams acting like he's Mahatma Gandhi, Jesus Christ, Mother Teresa, because remember, he thinks that God is a woman, so he had to have the multiple figures that were known for taking care of the poor, the impoverished, tending to their needs. And he grabbed one of the illegal aliens coming off the greyhound. You saw it on the video on the evening news. And he said, what happened to everybody else? So Mr. Mayor, they... They basically jumped ship. Uh, Some of them jumped off in Paramus. Some of them in Hackensack and and said the reason they didn't want to come the rest of the way is it's too dangerous in New York City. So what did Eric Adams, the swagger man with no plan, do? He did a quick spin in front of the podium. This is at 7 o'clock in the morning. He's doing a press conference. And then he did another one live at 5. The guy's like Lenslice. But now he's been boxed in. Oh, masterful, Abbott. If, If I could... Speak to your team and say you knew exactly what his Achilles heel is, which is cameras. And so he announced the reason that so many of the illegal aliens jumped ship on the way to New York City is that they feared immigration, naturalization, and, of course, ICE, that he has called thugs. The law enforcement wing of immigration that was started after 9-11 in order to prevent terrorists from coming across our border. The reporters actually grew a pair and said, Mr. Mayor, it was ICE and Lemigre who put the illegal aliens on the bus when they requested to go to New York. Why would they want to arrest them when they came to New York? Uh, press, press attache, you answer them. I got to go to my next ribbon-cutting ceremony. It was embarrassing. Listen to the rage, the anger of a combination of Mother Teresa, Jesus Christ, and, of course, Mahatma Gandhi. It's Eric Adams' concerned about these illegals. It's unimaginable uh, that what uh, the governor of Texas has done, when you think about this country, a country that has always been open uh, to those who were fleeing uh, persecution and other uh, un- in, uh, intolerable conditions... We've always welcomed that. And this governor is not doing that in Texas. But we are going to set the right message, the right tone of being here for these families. Wait a second. Governor Abbott is doing exactly what the illegals want to be done. He's saying, Where would you like to go? You want to stay here? Want to take a bus? Go visit Papi Chulo? Joe Biden, who is saying, Who's your daddy? You want to go to Nueva York? Most people got on the Washington bus. They didn't get on the New York bus. But Adams was spun, and he knew it. He got rope doped But, you know, he couldn't stop himself from doing that press conference at 7 in the morning and then following it up with a live at 5. Now, here was Governor Abbott, who was like, really? At the Madam Governor in Washington, D.C., and, of course, Eric Adams, who didn't understand what he was getting roped into. And they're a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, They're fine with illegal immigration flooding across our borders and the crisis caused by the Biden administration as long as it stays down in Texas. And then Governor Abbott had an opportunity to uh, extrapolate on this with Jesse Waters of the Fox News Channel. Public officials across the country, they do need to realize the magnitude of the chaos
6: created by Biden's open border policies. They're up in arms about a few thousand people coming into their communities over the past few months. Listen, in any
5: one sector in the state of Texas, we have more than 5,000 people come across that sector every single day. And so, listen, we're full in the state of Texas. Our communities are overrun. And I started busing people to Washington, D.C.,
3: when local officials could not handle the number of people that had come across our border. Brilliant. He laid it out. You know, before I came on the air, substituting for Frank Morano, where in the world is Frank Morano? On a perpetual vacation. But it is what it is. I'll keep eating up the real estate. I had an opportunity to reach out to some of my Spanish-speaking guardian angels, of which there are many. I said, can you watch Telemundo tonight? Can you watch Univision? Because they have the local edition, and then they have the international edition. It's sort of like the CNN of the Spanish-speaking world. So you can watch it in Guadalajara, you can watch it in Guatemala City, you can watch it in El Salvador, everywhere in the third world, everybody's got a TV. So I said, what were they showing? And he said, Curtis, they showed Eric Adams embracing the illegal aliens coming off the bus. I said, so what do you think the message was to the illegals who are still on the other side? You got to choose New York City as your main destination because the mayor will meet you and greet you when the bus arrives. What a schmuck. What a pots. I mean, you don't see the other mayors doing that, do you? Hell no. They said, I'm not getting in a photo op. I don't want any more of them. I can't say that. But I really don't want them coming here. Wow. And this would be a time where Eric Adams could reach out to ICE. These are heroic men and women who each and every day perform extraordinary duties. They put them at risk. Many of them are waking up right now or have woke up, and they are putting on their bulletproof vests because it's a dangerous job. They're federal law enforcement agents. ICE was created in the aftermath of 9-11 to prevent what happened in 9-11 and weed out terrorists. Narco-terrorists, drug dealers, pimps, people bringing in uh, and sex trafficking, young boys, young girls, and others. A whole panoply of enemies of their own people. Their destination somewhere in America. And ICE is the only law enforcement agency between them and the bad hombres, as then-President Donald Trump described. But you see Eric Adams and the other mayors and the other governors, like Kathy Crimewave Wave, uh, Holcomb, and uh, Governor Half in the <gasps> bag, Murphy. you still not in uh, Trenton. He's at his villa, his estate in Italy, $28 million estate. And you know who's working uh, on the grounds of that villa? Illegal aliens from Eritrea. That's right, you fake, phony, fraudulent Millionaire from gold mine sacks days. He's got illegal aliens in Italy from Eritrea, North African, taking care of the grounds. You say, how do you know, Curtis? I have guardian angels there. But anyway, I digress. You would think they would take advantage of ICE. ICE has a better database. ICE tracks them coming in and out. ICE can let local officials and state officials know the movements. Because let's face it. Local law enforcement and state law enforcement has their hands tied with just the local yokels committing crime. Never mind the narco-terrorists or members of MS-13 or 18th Street, the Mexican gang, or the Trinitarios from the DR. All of them illegal aliens. But Andrew Cuomo said what has been said time and time again by Democratic elected officials. Behind closed doors, listen to how he describes the brave men and women of ICE who get no recognition, no attention, risk their lives for who?
7: Us. New York State is the state that says we will not cooperate with ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. He politicized ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. We said we will sue them if they violate any criminal laws in the state of New York.
3: What about thugs violating the laws like MS-13, 18th Street, Trinitarios, narco-terrorists, pimps, people involved in uh, exploiting uh, young men and women? No no mention of that. Wow. How embarrassing. And this will continue because the war will not abate. Papachulo... Yes, he is Papichulo to the illegal aliens. They all love him. They call him Papichulo, Papichulo. And if he could, if he had control of his mental faculties, we would see a front-page headline in the Post of the News, just like Martinez said to us. Remember when he was pitching for the Boston Red Sox against the Yankees in the playoffs, and he very pejoratively and snidely said, "Hey Yankees, who's your daddy?" Pedro Martinez, remember who's your daddy, Yankees? And we fixed him real good. But who, who's handling this in Washington? Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security? Not. Nah. Giggles Harris, our vice president, the Tsarina in charge of immigration, who should be at the border? Not. Nah. Or our. Our president, who has just been taken off of COVID watch because he has tested negative. But his staff has said, let's keep him in the basement. He's a lot less intrusive when he's in the basement than when he's roaming about the White House, imagining that he's doing press conferences and screaming at the top of his lungs. Who's your daddy? I'm your Papa Chulo. Andale, andale, come to America. Eric Adams, do you realize what a fool you made of yourself earlier on Sunday? Do you not recognize that? Of course he doesn't. It's on to the next press conference, the next Live at Five. The problem is, who's going to pay for all this? Oh, that's us, the sucker taxpayers. is our Urio Asiatic uh, black man. I understand it's James Brown, godfather of soul, soul brother number one. And that is the call to black pride. And boy, you know who listens to that message each and every day on the junior side, the JV side. Well, it's Pastor Whitehead in that church in Kenarcy. Best friend of Eric Adams. Bishop Whitehead, his uh, complexion is his protection. They should have locked him up for insurance fraud. But, hey, uh, I want to give you an update. He had his uh, pastoral message today to uh, a number of uh, elderly black women. They all believe in their pastor. they never want to know that he did any wrong. But this guy's a crook. Nobody in the 69th Precinct uh, nearby his Kanashi Tabernacle on uh, Forster Avenue and Remsen uh, are investigating the Reverend. Nobody at Eric Gonzalez's DA office is investigating the Reverend. Why? Because they're all friends of the Reverend, and the Reverend has some really good connections at City Hall. Ho, 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 ho. So that investigation ain't going nowhere, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to pump, 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 and prime the pump and talk about it each and every day until the D.A. in Brooklyn and the 69 precinct and my beloved Canarsie, do your freaking job. Investigate this. This is insurance fraud. The guy bamboozled everybody when he had those three homeboys come in with masks and strip him and his wife before... Before an audience in person and virtually watching it on the stream, And he said, oh, they took $400,000 of my bling bling. They'll make that a million. No, it's a little too excessive. We'll bring it back down to $400,000. And he's been giving interviews ever since. And the mayor has said, I will not surrender. I will not retreat. I will not disappear. On my friend, Pastor Whitehead. Been there for me since 2013. Okay that's that's JB that's the junior pastors of the Church of what's happening now. enough of that music is now we're gonna get into the fillet Mignon not the chop meat because that's uh, Bishop uh, Whitehead he's really chopped meat. who's the Filet Mignon Avery Well it's Slim Shady Sharpton. He is the leader of the National Action Network. He has his storefront church right there on 145th Street in the heart of Harlem, USA. Just a few steps away from the bridge that takes you across the Harlem River to Yankee Stadium. And it seems that our Slim Shady Sharpton is in another battle with his landlord. He always is because he's a deadbeat. He's a welcher. He doesn't pay his lease or his rent. And now he's at war with the uh, landlord-developer Lennox-By-The-Bridge LLC. Aren't they all LLC? so we don't know who are part of the consortium? But we do, we do know who their spokesperson is. Bruce Tidalbaum. Now, who's Bruce Tidalbaum? I'm going to have to have a conversation with my Kumbata chief Rudy Giuliani, who's on today, Monday through Friday from 3 to 4. Bruce Tidalbaum used to be, the leader of his Jewish outreach in City Hall. Bruce, I knew Bruce Teitelbaum well. Bruce Teitelbaum would often rail against Al Slim Shady Sharpton as a virulent anti-Semite. He was and still is. But Bruce Teitelbaum now is part of that consortium, and he loves Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Bruce, I know you are listening. Your wife, Suri, who is the biggest fundraiser for all the Democrats you should go up to the Beamer in your shuling synagogue and impale yourself with a menorah. My God, what a shunda! And this guy is playing you, playing you, and you deserve it. You and your partners, because he's done this all throughout his history. Let me go through uh, some of the recent headlines. Al Slim Shady Sharpton rose, so did his unpaid taxes, and his non-payment of rent and leases. You know, you don't often beat Leona Helmsley when she was alive and owned. Well, Harry was uh, no longer cognizant. He was suffering uh, from dementia and Alzheimer's, as we discussed uh, he, well, actually, hours ago, uh, the condition of Tony Bennett, who just discovered his ninety-six, uh, celebrated his 96th birthday. Harry Helmsley was no longer in control of his mental faculty, so it was Leona, Leona alone. Part owner of the Empire State Building. You know who the other co-owner was? Citizen Donald Trump. Now, you would have thought, who would have won that war over ownership? It wasn't Donald. It was Leona Helmsley. So it's in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11. al Shady Sharpton had his National Action Network headquarters on about the 28th floor of the Empire State Building. He hadn't been paying rent before. Right away, everybody told the ownership, just give him a little room. You don't want to make this like a civil rights case. You don't want the Rev claiming he's a victim of racial discrimination. His... His, his complexion is his protection. You just got to accept it. But after nine eleven, there was a downturn in the economy. And finally, the rental agents on behalf of the Helmsley firm said, hey, Al, it's time to pony up. How about you pay half or a third? You know, show good, some good intent. He said, no, 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 I can't. So they brought him to the tenant landlord court in Al Slim Shady, Sharpton, with his pastoral robes showed up. This is when he hadn't lost the weight. Remember, he had the gold Martin Luther King medallion. What pawn shop did he ever pawn that in? I don't see that any longer. And remember, he was a bit chubsy-wubsy, and he had to fro. And he went before the judge, in tenant, landlord, court, and he said, Judge, I can't pay the rent because in the aftermath of the attack of the two towers of the World Trade Center and their implosion, None of my employees will come to work because they fear the next target is the Empire State Building. Pretty slick, right? (laughs) Ha-ha! Pretty damn slick. And the Helmsley Corporation was like, oh, my God, he beat us. There was a lot of money at stake. I mean, a lot of money at stake. And he did this before he was running for the U.S. Senate in Brooklyn. I remember because I interviewed this gentleman, a Panamanian American who had served in the United States Army. And he had invested in a brownstone. It was every nickel, diamond, penny he had. And so Reverend Sharpton came and he said, I'd like to turn the basement into my headquarters for the U.S. Senate. He was running in that time in the Democratic primary against Bobby Abrams, the attorney general, Liz Holzman. Uh, who had been the DA in Brooklyn, and, yes, Geraldine Ferrara, who had been the vice presidential candidate with Walter Mondale. Thankfully, they lost, uh, but she had also been the uh, congresswoman from Forest Hills. So the Panamanian guy, I mean, he loved it. He said, oh, wow, for you, anything, Rev. And for eight months, the Reverend Sharpton was a deadbeat, a welcher, didn't pay a nickel-dime a penny. So this older Panamanian guy said, come on, can't you give me something? I mean, I got to pay gas bills. I got to pay for heat, hot water, electricity. And Reverend Al Sharpton told him, you should feel privileged to have me as a tenant. You dare ask me to pay? I'm on a mission from God. (laughs) The Panamanian guy said, oh, my God. Couldn't wait to get on WABC with me. Because remember, even back then, WABC, the acronym stood for Always Broadcasting Curtis. And it wasn't the only time. You know, I'm going to hook Sid Rosenberg into this, so, as I always do. My golly. They tell me I have to talk about his freaking book. Sid Rosenberg, Citizens United, with Johnny Russo of Godfather fame. I mean, Johnny's going to want to fake. And you know it's required. I mean, I got to look. The forward is written by John Katzmatidis, right? (laughs) Our owner and operator. Can't diss him, and his partner Bernard McGurk. He didn't even allow me to write a thumbnail sketch. It's called "Solicious Spiels: Stories, Suggestions, and Solutions to Withstand a Woke World." Boy, that's a mouthful. And I'm telling you, like Abby Hoffman had his book when he was a yipster. He was up in the Saint Lawrence Valley on the lam trying to escape the long arm of the FBI. And he published a book, and it said, steal my book, please. And people did. I want you to steal Sid's book, please. Steal the book. Go into Barnes & Noble and other bookstores near you. When you're at the airport, you know, they sell books. Sid's book will be there. Steal it. And if you can't purloin it because there are too many cameras, and you're not like the... uh, Looters and the boosters here in New York City who asked for their Alvin Bragg swag bag and promised not to shoot, only loot. And just grab the the book and then just rip out page 27. Rip it out quietly. Slip it into uh, your underwear or your brassiere or whatever or your panties. When you read page 27, you will see how I and I alone Stood for Sid Rosenberg. I said to Cumulus at that time, our owners, hated Sid Rosenberg. By the way, he hated me, too. I said, you got to you gotta reunite Sid Rosenberg with Bernard McGurk. They're the best. And uh, at that time, Geraldo Rivera was leaving the mid-morning show. And uh, Don Amos said, I don't want Bernard McGurk to do the mid-mornings with Said, No, a pox on them. I want my friend Mike Lupica. And I want him to do it from the basement of New Canaan, Connecticut. I don't want him coming into the studios like me ever. And all the cumulus executives, oh, Mike Lupica. What a horrible talk show host. And so I barged into the offices of our president and uh, Caputituti right now, Chad Lopez. I said, Chad, Chad, I, I see you got the contract on the desk. I see Mike Lupik's name. You can't sign this. You can't. Chad, he understood. He's a good radio man. He said, you're right, Curtis. If we unite Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg together, they have great chemistry. There'll be a good mid-morning team. And eventually, when uh, Don Imus has to leave the ranch and go into the hereafter, they'll make a dynamic morning team. Well, right now, they are the number one news talk morning team, not just in the tri-state area, in the nation, bar none. I take full credit for that, even though I shouldn't take full credit. So that's why, steal the book or just steal page twenty-seven. I did my required announcement about the Sid Rosenberg Citizens United. I've had it with that. Let me get back to my favorite topic, though. Dissing and dismissing al Slim, Shady Sharpton, that hustler, that shakedown artist, that extortionate. This is pertinent to Sid Rosenberg, who always busts his budgets uh, his buttons and bridges, and brags about the fact that he went to Poly Prep in the shadow of the Arizona Bridge. It's not a religious school; it's a secular school, and it costs a lot of money. And he always has on Joseph Tacopini. He Say, hey, you know, I went with Joseph Tacopini and Arthur Idella. You know, two ambulance chasers there who represent mobsters choking on their lobsters, but it costs their parents a ton of money to go to Poly Prep. Al Slim Shady Sharpton and the National Action Network have repeatedly failed to pay travel agency, hotels, and landlords. And based on the generosity of friends and sometimes even the National Action Network, intermingling the finances illegally to cover his two daughters' private school tuition to where Poly Prep. Come on, Sid, Arthur Idella, Takapina, talk about this. Oh, no, no. She got it. Come on, they'll call us a racist. No, no, no. Ah, Sid will do it. Takapina, Arthur Idella, no. No, no, no. Because they're thinking in the future we may have to represent Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who may be uh, on the daisy chain purple line for white-collar crime. Here is Al Slim Shady Sharpton. He hasn't paid federal taxes. He hasn't paid state taxes. He hasn't paid city taxes. And the worst, for years, he didn't pay payroll taxes for his employees at the National Action Network. You know what that means? That's not his money. He stole the money of his workers because he promised he would pay payroll taxes. He didn't. You say to yourself, how come he's not in jail? J-A-I-L. He certainly wouldn't be in jail because when all of this came to light, he had an easy pass in and out of the White House for Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. By God, he was there every day. Al Slim Shady Sharpton, easy pass, easy pass in. Instead of in the outhouse as he always claimed to be. Who's here today? Oh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Who's coming to dinner? Al Slim Shady Sharpton. He owned the Obamas. And actually, their attorney general in the Justice Department said, It is forever now. You know, hey, he does good work, he represents the peeps. Then he had to submit to a deposition because he was sued by my very dear friend, Stephen Pagones. As you remember, it was Sharpton, Mason, and Maddox who created that fake, phony, fraudulent story about Tawana Brawley being raped by the assistant DA of Dutchess County, Stephen Pagonis. It was all a lie. It destroyed his life, destroyed his marriage. People up there began looking at him in Newburgh and the surrounding areas, Poughkeepsie, and saying... You racist, Pagones. You did this to this young black girl. Tawana Brawley, you're a horror. Everybody abandoned ship on Stephen Pagones. I did not. Stephen Pagones tells the story all the time. I went back and forth to Poughkeepsie. I was there in the courtroom when Stephen Pagones sued Sharpton for defamation and won. Won the judgment. Proving that Sharpton, Mason, and Maddox had lied. Whatever happened to the other two uh, cast characters of man, right? Mason, Maddox, gone. But who survived? Al Slim Shady Sharpton. And he never paid a penny of that. And when he had to sit for the deposition in the aftermath of the judgment against him, he went into the room full of lawyers... He said he had no assets except for a watch and a ring. Everything else, including some of his suits, were owned by the National Action Network. And you think Eric Adams has expensive suits? Hmm. Look at how slim shady Sharpton. They're not off the rack. And during the deposition, Sharpton suggested he was not really sure who owned the Brooklyn house where he lived with his wife and two daughters, who um, monies that he procured were paying for their, tradi- their tuition? Where? At the same school that Sid Rosenberg went to, Poly Prep. And what did he say when pressed by the attorneys? Well, I haven't checked the deed out. I have no idea who owns it. And they said, What about your wedding bed? Ah, uh, that's my wife. It was a gift. He's bamboozled every step of the way. And now, isn't it so nice? In the past, when he was asked for his tax receipts, when he was being uh, investigated by then the Attorney General, Bobby Abrams, and it was time to produce the receipts for the 501c3 that he was CEO of, mysteriously, fire would take place. And he would say, well, you know what that Jewish lightning and Jewish electricity is? And Bobby Abrams, a Jew, stayed quiet. Everybody knew. Everybody knew that was a scam. Well, the latest Jew that he's taking advantage of is Bruce Teitelbaum. And guess what,
0: Bruce? You freaking deserve it. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Marano.
3: Dre. This, is, this is the this remix for the city. Let's just start snapping. Crack hit, bleak on the jack like, let's make it happen. Oh, it's nothing me. can stop me. I'm all the huh. way up. All the way up. This is in honor of Bernard McGurk, <laughs> better known as the Mighty Whitey Hood Rat from South Bronx, Monroe Projects. Rough for a white boy to grow up there. Man, it was rough. And then he was a Hayes man. Yeah, Cardinal Hayes. Great partner for Sid Rosenberg. By the way, I went to Holly Prep. Same place at Al's from Shady Sharpton. Swindled money to send both of his daughters. And did I hear anything from Sid, Arthur Idala, or Joe Tocopino, or the alumni there? Shh. It's a gift. It's a scholarship. Really? Did anybody else get a scholarship? You know, Bernard McGurk didn't get a scholarship. He had to earn his stripes the hard way. And then he was up there, lost in Yonkers. You know, the uh, O'Neill play, lost in Yonkers. That was Bernard driving livery cab. I mean, living on the wild side. The pimps, the pushers, putting guns to his head. They say, yo, white boy, take me to bomb Take me to... to to Ghetto Square, a.k.a. Getty Square. Take me to Nodine Hill. Take me to the Mumford Gardens. Bernard McGurk had to make the money, man. He wasn't born in wealth. He didn't have two nickels to rub together. He hadn't chased the leprechaun and found the pot of gold. He didn't have a shillelagh. He didn't kiss the Blarney Stone. And he got pistol-whipped and robbed again and again, but... What a masterful individual, his literary forte, reading and studying and bringing that all together to the microphone here at WABC and then matched up with Sid Rosenberg. It's a match made in heaven. I don't know if it's JC's heaven or if it's Hashem's heaven, but you don't want to miss him coming up. It is the most listened to morning talk radio program now in the nation, bar none. And they've earned it. Earned it the hard way. But hey, by the way, brown nose Alex, with your schnoz so far up, the took us of Frank Murano. Can you imagine? We've gone through four hours here. By the way, uh, are you on your way up here to find out where Frank Murano is? Everybody wants to know where in the world is Frank
4: Murano here, Alex? Well, you know, honestly, Curtis, I'm starting to get a little worried. I've st- I think I've uh, put out a couple calls to a few, like, high-ranking PIs, you know, that I can uh, maybe see if I can uh, track Frank down because, I mean, you know,
3: to, look, to look, not hear from the guy. There's only one PI here at WABC who can find him, and that's Bo Deedle. Well, no maybe he should get on the case. By the way, uh, I want you to know that I've had my differences with Bo Dito over the years. Oh, boy, have we had differences. Man. I remember I was at uh, one of the Joe Piscobo extravagandas where we were honoring Frank Sinatra and his family. And I couldn't stop myself. I said to Bo as I was leaving, where's your shine box, Bo? Oh, my God. It was almost World War Three. And other times we would kiss and make up. Yeah, he would kiss me on both cheeks. And I said, Bo, some people have done that and then try to kill me. He says, no, I'm not. And I want to share this with you because he is a very dear friend of both Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg. He'd been with them for years. He picked up the phone the other day and he said to me, Curtis, whatever differences we've had, we got to put aside. I want you to attend a press conference with me, 3 o'clock on Wednesday. We're going to try to get the Hispanic vote on board for Congressman Lee Zeldin because he's our only help, our only hope. There goes one caveat, I've invited Fernando Mateo. I said to myself, oh, gosh. But you know something? We all have to put aside our differences. I, I'm serious when I say this to all of our listeners out there. We must stop Kathy Crime Wave Hokum because she's full of nonsense. This this state of ours is falling, sliding into the abyss. The exodus continues. We're the highest tax state in the nation with now the highest crime weight per capita per person, and our quality of life has diminished. So I'm asking all of you to join me, Bo Dietl, Fernando Mateo, Sid Rosenberg, Bernard McGurk. And I would hope the missing in action Frank Marano, whenever he decides to return from his extended vacation, and rally around the man, I did not support him in the GOP primary. I was with my combative chief Rudy Giuliani, who can you can listen to this afternoon from 3 to 4 and every Monday through Friday. In support of his son, Andrew Giuliani, I just want to hearken you back to the night when Lee Zeldin won convincingly by 20 points. The first person to the microphone was Andrew Giuliani doing his concession speech. Masterful and said, now we put down all of our differences and we rally round, Congressman Zeldin. We got to save the state of New York. That's our priority. Rudy Second did it, and I was like part of the three musketeers to say yes. So I am going to do everything within my capacity, whether it's broadcasting on the most powerful news talk station in the nation, WABC. Obviously, we are the epicenter of the growing Frank Morano National Network. But whoever you are, wherever you are, you may not be a citizen registered to vote in New York, but you can donate. You can donate to the cause of electing Congressman Lee Zeldin, the next governor of the state of New York, and send a shot across the bow of all those who would turn our state over to the criminals, who would not impose cash bail, who would continue to keep appointing and electing district attorneys and ADAs who turn the criminals loose, and most importantly, but sully the reputation of the greatest mayor we've ever had, Rudy Giuliani, just following his footsteps, support Lee Zeldin.
4: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit